Hey, this is Noah Aperback Katz, Rin on Star Trek Discovery, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is maybe out of time or maybe in time. Who knows? Depends how quick I get the edit done. I'm Craig, your host, and this is the time to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3 because it finished less than a week ago at the time of recording. So I'm just going to beam in some help so that I'm not talking to myself for the next couple hours. So, energising. Welcome aboard, Chris. Oh, what a futuristic transporter. That's really neat. It's like a little blip instead of all the whooshy stuff. Yeah, I miss the whooshy stuff. It felt like there was a bit of an occasion to beaming, and now it's just this weird, quick thing. But I digress. You can bloop in and you can bloop out. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's on a badge that somehow knows where you're going. Yeah, you can bloop from anywhere. It's great. It's a bit like the extrapolator in the Arrowverse, actually. You just press a button and it knows where you want it to take you. You don't have to program any destination. (laughs) Yeah, you just know exactly where you want to go. I mean, it's great because I could be sitting on my office chair and then I want to go to the toilet and I just bloop and I'm on sitting on the loo. It's perfect. I love how it's only within your own house that you can move around. You've got this (laughs) technology that can take you anywhere in the world. It's like, I want to be about five yards away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the moment, it's very apt. It it doesn't really need to work outside my house at the moment, to be fair. No, but you would love a holographic avatar at the moment. Oh, now that'd be good. Now's the time for holographic avatar technology, like some sort of telepresence robot using VR. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, or just projecting this like hard light hologram and you can interact with you. And then your holodeck creates the environment that you're projecting yourself into so that you think you're there. It'd be great. Yeah, it's a home holodeck. Yeah, all that technology. But anyway, we're here to talk about Star Trek, not fantasy technology. Because <laughs> you never find any we? fantasy technology in Star Trek. <laughs> never. <laughs> so Discovery Season 3, spoiler-free thoughts. We'll go to Black Alert after we get some quick impressions in. So what did you think of Discovery Season 3? I think there were some impressive parts to the season. I think it was, you know, it's obviously it's the furthest forward that we've ever gone in time, really, with the show. It had some really interesting concepts. It didn't necessarily follow them all through, and I think it kind of rushed in the finish. That's succinct, yeah. Hmm. I agree. I think there were some great ideas in there. I think they weren't explored as well as they could have been. But there's some great stuff in there as well, particular character stuff that they do very well. But there's some... It's not done so well, so it's a varied season, I think. I think it's middle of the road. Is it the best season of Discovery? I don't know. Is it the worst season of Discovery? I don't know. I think 
quality-wise, the show has been fairly consistent. Although, I think all seasons have had the same problem as well, which we'll definitely get into Hmm. as we proceed through this discussion. So, that's that. Shall we jump to Black Alert or go to Black Alert and then jump? That's the, the order you have to do it in. Oh yeah, let's go for that. Let's let's do a black alert. Yeah, I love a black alert. Black alert. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, so we can now say whatever we want. So Discovery Season 3, as Season 2 pointed out, and we talked about in our podcast about that, they end Season 2 by throwing themselves into the 31st century so that they can take the sphere data with them and have it not be accessed by a murderous AI. It's a bold idea because it gives them it gives them carte blanche to do whatever they want. They can build the world as they see fit. They can build it out. They can change things. They can do different spins on the familiar. They can do, like I said, whatever they want. It's very curious that they did very little with the future setting in actuality, I um, found it a bit underwhelming because it was, they were just so bad at world building. You never really got a sense of what anything was like or why anything was the way it is. You just get vague references to events that happened and, oh, look, Earth is no longer part of the Federation. Oh, look, neither's Trill. Oh, look, here's the Orions, or at least some of them are in this organization that may or may not be huge. You don't really get a sense of how the universe actually works now despite the fact that we're supposed to explore it with these characters that are experiencing it cold. That annoyed me, the lack of significant world building. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt that because when you first arrived in the first episode with Burnham and it's a lot of, oh, well, there was this uh, burn thing, but you don't know, you don't need to know about that just now. Oh, there's this, oh, and they did that and they did this and they're not part of this. And it all gets sort of thrown at you at once. You're like, oh, well, it's going to be interesting to find out why and and what have you, and it doesn't really happen. And I don't know, part of me thinks that the reason that they haven't committed to a lot of why did Earth leave, why did this happen, and why did that happen, is that they don't want to tie themselves to something that they then need to write into another show. And I think that's potentially part of the reason that they've done it, is that they don't want to create canon that's going to tie them into loopholes in the future. Yeah, because why would you want to like build out your universe and keep it consistent <laughs> among all your different um, uh, yeah. <laughs> branches of it? Why would you bother? <laughs> I, I'm not saying why would you bother. I'm I'm sort of just playing devil's advocate a little bit. Is that the writers' room might have sat there and go, "Hmm, it's interesting to set up these things. It might not be convenient to us in the future if we start committing to everything right now." I'm like you. I would have quite happily sat through a lot more of how has Earth become so isolationist you know gone from galaxy spanning exploring to no we will protect our own and nobody else sort of mentality we're not even going to investigate what's going on beyond our borders we do not care just don't approach us yes you want to find out more about that of course you do and it just wasn't fully explored and i think that's kind of an ongoing thing for this season is that lots of stuff is picked up and put in front of you and they give you a little nibble, a little taste of, oh, well, that's quite an interesting concept and I wonder what's going to happen with that. And it either gets resolved very quickly or it just 
disappears into the background. It just doesn't get explained again. They get away with a character just going, oh, it's really complicated. I'll tell you that later in the mess hall. Or, oh, we discovered this and they did that. All right, are you, are you going to tell me more? No, no, that's it. <laughs> that's your story. Look it up in the data bank. Well, the Earth thing was especially interesting in, this, in the sense that they did the bare minimum of world building with Earth. It was so superficial. It was, well, we've closed our borders because the burden crippled us and we can't trust anyone else. And we're being attacked by these rebels or pirates or whatever they are. And, oh, look, they're human as well. So, yes, we all have to learn to get along again. And here's the message. And Discovery restores that. And you don't really get a sense of anything being a problem. It's almost like they could have easily resolved it themselves. All it would have taken was one single conversation. Why are you attacking us? Because you're ignoring us and we need help. And that was mm. the message. And yeah, let's talk about our problems. But it's just so superficial. Like I said, there's nothing there. It wasn't a huge problem that needed a third party to intervene and see a different perspective. It was so obvious. It just made the humans in that episode look stupid because they were just turning their backs on their neighbours. And with no real good reason for it. And then at that point, you didn't really get a sense of how devastating the burn was for Earth. Because you don't see Earth and you don't see any issues. I mean, you see a little bit at the end, like a tree and then a bit of San Francisco as it kind of pans out. But you don't, you don't get a sense of what the planet's like or what the people on it are like or what they've become. You just get this very truncated view of the civilization as it is now, which isn't really a great deal. Yeah, we know they're doing good enough that they were able to protect this tree. So, you know, it's not all falling apart. Starfleet's left, but we kept their tree. So, you know, yeah. it's good. <laughs> all is well. We all love this tree. And you talked about the first episode. I actually think the first episode was largely a waste of time because it doesn't give you anything meaty that you can't get through Burnham just telling us. I arrived a year ago. I met Book. We've had adventures because the adventure was really boring. They go to a Star Wars-style market and get in trouble and mm. there's a firefight and then they get along and Book is just like Han Solo when you meet him, but when you find out what he's all about, there's more to him than that and so on. So it's all just so predictable. I think you could have ditched that first episode, started with the episode where Discovery ri arrives in the future and then end with Burnham finding them. That would have been a great surprise. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that those two episodes maybe not delete that first episode ent entirely no, no, get rid of it it's pointless <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't get rid of it entirely but i think the second episode should have been the season opener i would have preferred discovery crash landing and them going well where's burnham and having to figure their way through what they're doing not knowing she's out there and also us as an audience uh, obviously as an audience we're probably going hmm, we know she's definitely filmed stuff for this season, so she's going to appear <laughs> at some point. But, you know, yeah. you get that little bit of plot tension of, oh, well, where is she? Oh, oh you know, you're sort of, sort of in your head theorizing, going, oh, did she make it? Where she ended up? Is she ended up in a different time? Is she ended up in a different place, planet, whatever? And that, I think, would have been a more interesting opener than seeing Burnham crash land and have this little mini-adventure meeting her pal for the, the rest of the season. I think that could have been told better through maybe a couple of flashbacks of some kind. Maybe it didn't need to be an entire episode, like you say. It could have just been a, oh, well, let me explain the story slightly as we work our way through, rather than let's spend an entire episode on this. Yeah, because the second episode does a far better job of 
teasing the mystery because in the first episode you get the what's the burn and then book just tells you but in the second episode they just refer to it and they don't Mm. tell you what it is because the characters that Tilly and Saru meet are all assuming that whoever they're talking to knows about the burn because it's common knowledge at this point so it gives you those mysteries. They mention the Emerald Chain. What's that? They mention a few other things. What are these things? And it just teases you a bit more as to what the central yeah. sort of mysteries are. Whereas you've watched the first episode, you know the answer to these questions. So it feels redundant to be asking them again. Fair enough, the characters we're now watching don't know the answers, but we don't need the answers again because we've already got them. So it feels like those first two episodes are doing the same thing in terms of setting up the season, except the second episode does it better. Yeah, I think the second episode was a far better tease, and I would have preferred that at the beginning so you could have a bit more of a speculation watch kind of thing, going, oh, what's this they're mentioning, and what's that they're doing, and oh, and we're going to get some answers later. Whereas in the first episode, like you say, the answers are kind of laid out very quickly, setting out, you're, okay, you're on this kind of planet and I'm doing this and we're off to market because I sell and trade stuff. I steal and trade. Yeah. Aren't I a rascal? Off we go. <laughs> it didn't quite fly that way. Yeah. So world building, not the best. They could have done a lot better. And I found that throughout, especially towards the end, we'll talk a mm. bit more about the Emerald Chain in general when we talk about Osira, but... At the beginning, I thought they were a scrappy little organisation about the size of the Maquis when they were in the, the 24th century set shows. But no, they're a huge organisation with governance and ministers and laws and channels you need to go through to pass laws and things like that. And then in the final episode, it was, Osiris dead, so uh, that's the Emerald Chain dealt with. <laughs> Which is weird. It's either an organisation that has different parts to it or it's a totalitarian thing that's ruled by one person it can't be both you don't get to have both i was the same as you when they introduced the emerald chain i was sitting there going oh they're sort of interplanetary mobsters they've assumed control of different bits and pieces they've managed to manipulate themselves into a part of power and this person happens to be sort of heading them up you know the dawn sending out the other little enforcers to the different planets to make sure that they're paying the protection money to the Emerald Chain. That's the way I sort of had it. They're dealing in some illicit goods that you wouldn't be able to get through an official government. These little backwater planets, they're delivering goods to them and the protection money. If you don't pay for our goods and you don't pay our protection money, then you're in trouble sort of thing. Yeah. I didn't have it as there's committee meetings ongoing to discuss the situation on our many worlds that we command. <laughs> that wasn't the impression that I got from the sort of full cantina scene we had. That looked like an enforcer coming around to collect their money rather than the governor of a far out planet. Yeah. And there was little bits I liked where they would refer to them when you had Book's brother talk about paying that protection money and about how the goalposts keep moving and the difference between the Emerald Chain and the Federation is you always know where you stand with the Federation because they'll never suddenly increase the price. There won't even be a price. That's mm. the Federation for you. But we'll get to that more when we talk yeah. about Osiris in more detail. It's just, it's a thing that's in the universe, in the galaxy, that is poorly developed as well as everything else, which I had severe issues with because... Surely it's a writer's dream. You've got this blank canvas that you can do anything with. And you have the Star Trek universe. So what you can do is you can move 
pieces around in any way you want and you can turn it into whatever you want. So you can take this race and turn them into whatever it is. I don't know, are the Bajorans occupying Cardassia now? After <laughs> a thousand years, they've decided to get their revenge. Who knows? Well, maybe they are. Maybe we'll get to that next season, but maybe not. I don't know. It's all to play for, and I feel like they did a poor job with it. People use an excuse about it's a shorter season length than you might expect from Star Trek back in the heyday of 26 episode seasons or whatever, but then that's an excuse, yes, and there's only a limited amount of things you can do in those 13 episodes. But instead of just trying to give us little morsels of what the universe is like, why not focus on one or two things? for your 13 episodes yeah i'm with you on that make it a more focused season don't try and encompass everything their mission to find starfleet could have been a season yeah that welcome home scene could have been the end of a season of exploring what has happened where is starfleet they're heading out of the way on a secret base make that a much harder find they've got to jump between all these different planets to find out what's happened while investigating the burner, while trying to find out what's going on, while trying to deal with the Emerald Chain, because every planet you turn up at, it appears that the Emerald Chain are there and Starfleet aren't doing anything about it. Yeah, or they're nowhere to be found. Yeah, some of the planets they turn up, it's like, oh, Starfleet, oh, we've not heard about that since the burn. It's like they've not been enforcing, they've not been out there. So yeah. that, I think, would have been an interesting build-up to it, rather than giving little snippets of things you can focus on a season a shorter season and i've said before about things like some of the netflix shows or the disney plus shows is their seasons are the length they need to be to tell a story the episodes Mm -hmm. are the length they need to be to tell a story rather than the episodes are a fixed length because that's the length they're supposed to be and we've commissioned a season that's exactly this long so put in some puff pieces in there put in a bit of filler just so that we can make it to the end of a season i think it's way better if the writers have a plot and a a plan of how they're going to follow that to fit a number of episodes that they need rather than oh we're going to make it like you say 22 episodes long because think of how much advertising we're going to sell within those 22 episodes (laughs) it needs to be an hour long we've got to fit in four ad breaks yeah i always think it's better to be shorter i get the needs of network television and some of the platforms are different but yeah at the same time i think it can end up with poor story as a result of that well there's been a lot said about in the wake of the finale about how the plan was this is a season where we end up with Burnham in the chair. So they started with that as their goal and worked backwards. And that really shows because everything that puts Burnham in the chair makes absolutely no sense. None at all. Because they've set up things during the season that she needed to deal with specifically in relation to her sense of belonging. She mentioned on a few occasions I don't feel like I belong on Discovery at the moment. I'm used to doing my own thing. I'm used to setting my own rules, setting my own hours, keeping to myself, doing different things. And now I'm in a command structure. And that does create some interesting friction for a little while. But then by the end of the season, it's the Admiral's like, I like that you don't follow the rules. Here's the captain's chair. Sit down. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. It just it doesn't make sense because Burnham never really resolved her sense of belonging. She did get to a point where it's like, no, I'm going to stay on Discovery. I feel like I should be on Discovery. But that sense of place never really fully resolved itself. Not to the point where it's, I want to fully commit to the bit of being 
in command. I get what you're saying. They worked from, oh, Burnham's going to be captain backwards. But I don't even feel, even she says it in that last episode, is almost like she's not got ambition to be captain. Maybe way back when we see her in the first season of Discovery, that Burnham has ambition for captain and decision-making and being in a chair. I don't think the Burnham that we've got here is like, oh yeah, I want to command Discovery. Yeah, that's that's my dream. I want to be a captain of my own starship. I don't get that. And when you see her debating whether she wants to stay on board, whether she wants to be able to follow, you know, if she's capable of following the rules anymore, considering that the whole show started with the fact that she kind of goes off for not following the rules. Yeah. This whole show starts. You sit and you go, is this really what she wants? Is this what she aimed for? It seems that she almost settled in for... When she decided to stay, I thought she had decided to stay based on the ongoing mission that they were currently on. She got tied up in the mystery of what was the burn, what caused the burn, and I want to see my friends again, and I want to see Starfleet. I want to reunite them with Starfleet. She achieved all her goals by the end of this. Yeah. And I don't see what's out there for her to say, oh, now I'm going to stay. My next mission is clear. Because she seems very mission-focused. She's got to have a goal. She's got to have something that she's aiming for. That's what we've seen through all these seasons. Is that she's always got, oh, I'm going to protect this, I'm going to resolve this, and I'm going to do this. And she aims for it. I don't see her at the moment with like a target, which makes me question why she would stay. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that she would do. No. But the plot needed her to be in the chair at the end of the season, so she is. Mm. And it was weird. I like what they did with her throughout the season in terms of her difficulty following orders. So that whole, we have a lead on a black box recorder or whatever that we need to go find in order to help narrow down the burn. And then there's the conflict because Discovery standing orders are stay put until we tell you to do something. So she runs off anyway with Book's ship and takes Giorgio with her and so on. And then she gets chewed out for it at the end for disobeying orders. Saru ends up demoting her or not demoting her but just removing her from the position of first officer and then by the end of the season it's very much be the captain now and i think it undercuts the saru development as well because a big part of the season was him finding his hooves not his feet because he has hooves as captain mm-hmm. and we've not seen that in star trek before really or maybe a bit in the jj abram stuff but then kirk seemed to instantly know what he was doing even though he was useless when he took command. In the darkness, the guy's useless. He doesn't know what he's doing. But he pretends like he does, so it's fine. But Saru is fine his feet. You have entire episodes where he looks into the well-being of the crew. How do I manage the well-being of the crew? I don't know how to relate to them. Pike did such a good job just being personable. I'm not sure how to do that. Things like that. He was learning as he went, and he was trying to do the right thing, and his natural empathy shone over. And then there was also the the way he was able to just cut through the nonsense and just make it clear that a job needed to be done. Like in one of the early episodes, where I understand how we all feel, but we need to get the ship operational. I think it was in the second episode. I understand how you all feel, but we need to get the ship operational back in space. That's our number one priority. You don't have time to be upset right now. Get on with it. And that's great command stuff because he's meeting them on their level, acknowledging their feelings, but also reminding them that 
we're in a command structure here and we have a job to do. And that's all great stuff. I think like, great development for a character and for the whole captain concept as well. Just seeing someone get to the point that we've seen all these other captains be before. I think that's a good point is he's learning to lead in a way that he hasn't had to before. He's always had a crutch to fall back on. There's always been an admiral at his side on the bridge or, or pipe. He's always had backup. Whereas this is him trying to find out how to control and command his crew, but also stay their friends, keep the family together. You know, considering they all went into this future voluntary, uh, voluntary, I can't even say that word, voluntary <laughs> at the beginning. or Voluntarily, voluntary. I think. Voluntarily, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, they all went into this. Even when they get there, especially in the first few episodes, they don't know that Starfleet's out there. They don't know if they're going to find Starfleet. He might never have any backup again. He might be the only Starfleet captain that's out there. He's got no one he can confide in, he can trust, and he, in, he finds his own way. Granted, he eventually consults the ship's AI. He holds a dinner party, a captain's <laughs> dinner party, which ends in a bit of disaster. But it was seeing those kind of things was really interesting. I'm trying to come up with his catchphrase was just a yeah. fun little aside. I like those little <laughs> sort of human moments that they put through it. Okay, I'm trying to come up with my catchphrase. Sort of proving Discovery can do some light stuff as well. It worked. It really worked. And yeah, I do think in the end, having Burnham instantly take his chair when he takes leave seemed a bit against the grain. We've only had one season of him as captain. He wasn't even captain really for the whole season. So... It seems a bit cheating to take him out already. Not necessarily that he's definitely going to be away at the end of the season. They do kind of leave it open. It would seem a bit weird for them to work all their way towards putting Burnham in the chair and then for the first episode of the next season to be, well, Sarah's back. <laughs> well, he's definitely back next season, but the capacity in which he returns is very unknown. So is he going to be an ambassador? Is he going to be an admiral? That might be interesting. Discovery answers to Admiral Saru. Mm. But he's been a captain for like five minutes and they're already promoting him to Admiral. But then that would be consistent with the way they do plots in this show, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, earlier on they promoted an ensign, so <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, yeah, gave her the job of first officer without promoting her. So she's commanding people that are of a higher rank than she is. But that's, that's something we'll definitely get to. But in terms of Saru's captaincy... I really like the little tidbits of advice that Vance would give him. The one that specifically comes to mind is with Giorgio. And Saru says, well, we can't go. It's too dangerous to go there. We're needed here. And Vance gives him the very clear advice of, yeah, that's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Fine. But if you don't, your crew will never forgive you. Your crew will never look at you the same way again. And you have to bear that in mind. So that's another bit of leadership where mm. sometimes you have to do maybe not what's best for the situation and do what's best for your crew in terms of their overall morale. It's one of them, if they are indeed a family, as the show keeps telling us, but never actually really shows us, then it is going to sting when they're not able to help each other. And then you think back to Pike when he went to save Tilly, where it's, one of our own is trapped. We need to go and save them. She would do no less for us. And it's that interesting dynamic of I have to 
make difficult leadership positions. But I also have to remember that these are people around me and I have to see them and work with them every single day. And I have to lead them every single day and they have to respect me and they have to trust me. And that's that balance. I think they consistently did Suru well this season. I think he was done very well this season, especially in the last few episodes. So it stood out for me for Saru. Yeah, when he went over to the ship and saw the other Kelpian, mm. Sukal, and took on that kind of parental mentor role, or tried to, but also found out more about his people in this time as well. I think there was some great work done there, and Doug Jones got to not be in makeup for a while, which must be delightful <laughs> for him. Well, he had to put on some radiation burns or whatever, which must be a lot less time than whatever the hell else he has to get through. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, he's made a career out of it. That's his job. I'm the creature guy. I'm the weird alien guy. I'll just sit in the makeup chair for days and just get this done. He did a great job. Yeah, and I liked him discovering that they had joined the Federation as well. Yeah. He portrayed that sort of delight that they had progressed to the point that they had joined the Federation really, really well, considering what we saw of them in the previous season. For them to go to that, to, oh, they were actually a member of the Federation, yeah. Yeah, from being primitive to piloting stolen fighters mm. to then being part of the Federation. Yeah, the Kelpians, interesting. So, Saru, pretty happy with Saru throughout, to be honest. I don't think I've got any issues with his characterization at any point. So, yeah, they can get a perfect score on Saru at the very least. Mm. So, while we're at it, why don't we talk about Tilly becoming first officer temporarily? <laughs> so I've got issues with it. I don't think they did Tilly very well this season because they struggled to find her things to do at different points. So you had that whole notion of her becoming first officer, which didn't make sense to me. And it's for the reasons that Tilly actually gives. I've got no experience in this. Only just started the command training program. And then Saru's like, yeah, but you traveled a thousand years into the future and you have more experience than anyone that's been through that program. It's, but the same is also true of every other person on the ship and they have more experience to boot. So you had Lieutenant Nielsen, for example, who had maybe six or seven lines this season. She got to say on screen when she was left in command, like why wasn't she considered <laughs> for first officer? So yeah. I have an issue with that in the sense why Tilly, and then she was afraid of, are you only promoting me because I'm compliant? And what if that was it? What if that was the reason? I'm not saying it was a bad thing once they got it started, though. She kind of does really well when she is in command. And I really like the whole, there's a manufacturing glitch that means there's a little nub under the arm of the chair. Giorgio had hers and rubbed it. Burnham did the same to her. Even Saru reaches for it. And then you have that whole thing where Tilly just keeps working on it. It's there for comfort. She's isolated in the chair, but it's there for comfort. I thought that was done really well and it's a shame that she got the ship captured on her first day in the chair yeah that was majorly unlucky i liked that little story it was a good sort of oh well one person that's been in command passes this down to the next person who passes it down to the next person who passes it down to the next person if a starfleet engineer ever comes up with a chair without that little nub on it there's going to be hell to pay (laughs) there's going to be a lot of angry captains out there where their comfort blanket gets taken out I'm with you with Tilly becoming first officer. I thought it was neat having her in this command training program in the last season. I thought, oh, that's neat. And 
Obviously, officially, the command training program, I suppose, once they move over, isn't really there until they get reunited with Starfleet and maybe that kind of thing can kick back up again. So I get why that might not have carried on in the same way. And I think they maybe could have introduced it in a more gentle fashion by getting her to maybe back up Burnham in a little way, helping with, I don't know, ship rotas or something. Just introduce the fact that she's doing something in the background managerial as well as her own job. You know, do it that she's continuing her cadet program and she's maybe, you know, Burnham is taking her under her wing a little bit more to show her. Now that she's first officer, she can show her more of what's going on. I would have liked that a little bit to then maybe justify the swing towards, oh, I'm going to make Tilly my first officer. I think you could have had the same conflict of Tilly being put in a command position that she wasn't ready for by going, say, picking up Stamets and going, Stamets, you're now first officer, and Tilly, you're now in charge of what's going on down in the spore drive and engineering and having conflict mm-hmm. down there. I think you yeah. still could have had a similar, I'm not ready to command an entire department. That kind of thing still would have worked. But they obviously wanted to do the captain and the swap over thing. And it was too early to give her that role. I like Tilly as a character. Really bubbly personality. She's fun when she's on screen. But do I think she's ready to be captain at this point? No. Not when you've got a crew of promoted officers. It doesn't make sense. Give her the promotion to go along with it. Have the admiral taking her aside and going, oh, I've heard about your work doing this and that and how responsible you are for getting the ship to the future. And for that, I'm giving you a bit of a promotion rather than going, oh, and you've just been made first officer. We're keeping you as an ensign, though. And they missed out on a whole load of conflict that could have Mm. resulted from that decision as well. So you get a little bit of it where Stamets is like, honestly, I find it a bit weird. I can't imagine taking orders from you. That's strange to me. And then he backs out of it pretty much immediately once he realizes that the truth hurt her feelings. And then you have that bit at the end where the whole crew come together and be like, yeah, say yes, we'll all listen to you. We'll all take command decisions from you. We believe in you. And that's, again, we're a family, but we're not because we've never really shown that. Mm. We haven't earned that. But also, what about the people that are there? It's like, look, I've worked really hard in my career to get to this point. And why don't I deserve that? Why not have people who are less than comfortable with it? And that leads to moments of hesitation on the bridge when she gives an order that they think is dumb. No, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given that order. No, no, it's, that's not going to work. Yeah, not the way I would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have a real conflict there. You have a real issue with Tilly's confidence in herself as a commander because the crew are giving her dirty looks when she asks them to do certain things because they don't think it's right because their experience has taught them that it's not right. Things like that. I think. There was so much fertile ground for exploration there. And they just went with, everyone loves it. It's fine. This crew stand together through thick and thin. And it doesn't matter what what common sense dictates. All that matters is we have this solidarity. This crew stick together through everything and support each other no matter what it is. But that's not interesting to watch really yeah i think they massively missed out on a bit of conflict i think it's with them running towards a plot point we need to get tilly into this particular position to justify this that and the other so that she can turn it down yeah so that she can turn it down in the end and there we go and then it's done but that's not the way that you want to have it they did the okay we're all a family we're all together we're all going to support you through this 
But of course there should have been background rumblings of, oh, well, she's not ready. Okay, maybe amongst her closest friends, they're not going to come out and go, oh, you're not ready for this. But there should have been rumblings in the background of it. And it seemed like something to give a bit of drama, a bit of pace to it. And it sort of got dropped pretty quick. And it's all, everyone accepts it now. It's all fine. And I feel kind of cheated out of a little bit. And even Burnham is like, oh, yeah, you deserve my job. You deserve my old job. You've earned my old job. Yeah. But yeah, if she's earned your old job, she's probably earned a promotion as well. She's not got that, has she? It seems we were cheated out of another piece of plot in there that could have rumbled for longer than it did. And yeah, just doesn't really get the time it deserves. And it is a shame because Tilly is a very strong character and I like what they normally do with her. And whenever she has moments on screen, she, she's equal parts hilarious and endearing. So they could have found something else for her to do. And I think if they wanted to push the whole reluctance of command thing they could have really played with that a lot more i liked her sort of trading barbs with osira and the fact that her personality came through in the way that she would respond that whole well this is classic projection or the moment i found was great and it was a great performance from mary wiseman was when osira's let me guess you're the person that's everybody's friend etc etc and tilly just sits there just trying to keep a straight face Mm -hmm. she's just trying not to crack in that moment because Osira has read her like an open book and she's just, yep, um, let's wait until I can say something clever. <laughs> the thing is, Osira is the only one that comes out and says what we as the audience are thinking. Yeah. She's getting called out by the enemy captain going, yeah. you're not ready for this. Just abandon ship already and hand it over to me. <laughs> that was a bit that was like, yeah, Osira's right on this case. <laughs> yeah. And Tilly does prove herself. I think she's quite good when she's in that position and she makes tough decisions and things like that but I just think they need to pivot it a bit, make it more meaningful. I would have rather to build up over a season or so to it, like I say drop in little things of her helping out with something or making a decision or becoming a department head of some kind being in charge of a project or do something to show that she's still going through the proper training, she's still earning that position rather than oh, well, she's kind of friends with everyone, so why not make her first officer? Yeah, and for a first officer thing, they had that, I can't even remember her name, that's another issue with the show. I mean, some mm-hmm. of the bridge crew, I'm not quite sure what their name is, but also they had that liaison that Van sent with them when Burnham took command for that mission. Yeah. She could have been placed in as the first officer. Just to help you acclimate to this time period, I'm going to give you this person as your first officer and then you've got this rogue element that's in the cast that they don't trust because they haven't been through it with her and things yeah or have the decision to make tilly first officer overridden by vance putting someone yeah. else in going she's not ready we've got an entire fleet out there of people who could command <laughs> command the ship who could be your second yeah. in command <laughs> so tilly it's a shame it wasn't tilly's season let's hope next season will be better for her who knows yeah, what she's more Tilly, please. Is she going to be Burnham's first officer? That'd she's be going to be an admiral. Admiral next she's season. Admiral. <laughs> acting admiral, though. Like Acting admiral, just acting. Yeah, Vance will go on holiday. And, <laughs> and while yeah. I'm away, Tilly, I've got to give you my job for a bit. <laughs> you, just, yeah. you can see her, you know, that, uh, that briefing he was at every morning where it's like, right, okay, <laughs> this planet's buggered. You go here. 
this planet's also buggered. You go here, but it's just Tilly <laughs> leading the briefing. All these captains <laughs> standing around, and she's just like, "Okay, right, what planet needs help this morning?" <laughs> yeah, I insist on her remaining an ensign throughout, though. Of course, yeah, she's just an acting admiral. Yeah, keeping Starfleet's long tradition of high achievers being ensigns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Harry Kim never got to be first officer. Exactly. Yeah. He, d- he, he did, did get to command, command a night, night shift though. every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she could be night shift admiral. There must be a night shift admiral. There we go. <laughs> night shift admiral. That would be amazing, night shift admiral. I mean, I think that would be quite a good animated show. <laughs> Putting it out there, if, if someone wants to pay me for the concept, you can have night shift admiral. Night shift admiral. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> In space, there is no night, except there's still a night shift. That's the tagline. <laughs> In space, there is no night, but there is a night shift. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Let's get it made. Come on, CBS All Access. Make it. We're open to offers. <laughs> yeah, we're open to offers, yeah. So other character stuff. I really liked what they were doing with Detmer early on. It's a shame they kind of drop it after a while, but Detmer's always been a character that I've noticed for some reason. I don't know why, because she hasn't really had an awful lot to do, but she's always been there. And so is some of the others, but for some reason she stands out a bit more. But she had that notion of just finding it difficult to deal with her current situation. And it was really impacting her to the point where, well, she exploded at the dinner table because... Oh, everyone's acting as if Stamets is the best navigator ever or whatever, but I fly the stupid ship and I keep us all alive and I do all this dangerous stuff and I never get any recognition. And that explosion of emotion was really good. And just the fact that she was struggling consistently early on, I really liked it. And I guess the resolution is supposed to be when she's in Book's ship with Rin and she suddenly realises if you acknowledge something and face something you can beat it because it's never brought up after that again yeah because she goes to colburn she says right i'm ready to talk she addresses it after that point well that was way before that the mission she oh, was on with Rin, Sorry. yeah you're referring to an early episode where the dinner party episode is the one you're referring to actually i think all oh, right okay no after that is when she goes into bookship is osiris first appearance and they go and take pot shots at the viridian mm. her big ship and she realizes that Oh, look, Rin faced up to his oppressors and he's starting to regain his confidence and things. Maybe I need to do the same. And then that spurs her on. But I guess we're supposed to accept that that's resolved her trauma because it's never brought up again. But to me, that felt like this is the first step on a really long path towards recovery. Apparently not. Again, it's something that was dropped a bit quickly. It did last longer than they did with some other things, though to give them that piece of credit. And obviously it is interesting because that ship went from being in a battle, getting decimated, to being flung through time, to crash landing on a planet, to basically fighting its way off the planet. That crew have went through a lot. When you take the seasons back to back and then up to the moment that they crash onto the planet and all the things that the ship's been through before that point, it's been to the mirror universe. They've been to, you know, I've done all these things. They've had a robotic uprising. They've been thrown into the future. And now they're trying to deal with being alone and being stuck out there. They made a, a sort of of the moment decision to go into the future. No, we're not going to let you go by yourself. We're all going to go together. 
they made that decision, maybe not at the time realizing the consequences, and then the whole crew are coming to terms with that. And I thought that was an interesting thing that they carried on for the beginning of the season. But you do think when you put all these actions together, because these are all pretty much following back to back, it doesn't appear that there's been like a long gap between seasons in the show's timeline, if you know what I mean, in their timeline. These events have almost all rolled onto each other. <laughs> yeah, relatively lot. speaking, it's seconds and then they're in a, another crisis situation again. Yeah. And then they go to Earth and it's less than welcoming and then it's finding Starfleet. Well, then it's off to yeah. Trill, which again, less than welcoming. And then it's finally finding Starfleet. So they don't get a chance to breathe until almost the middle of the season. And then that three seasons rolling before they get to hit pause at a starbase. That's a lot. Yeah. And before we pick up with Discovery, it's the Klingon war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's all we're thinking about. And the psychological toll that takes on people, the fact that they address that is really good because... I'm sure we discussed it maybe on the Picard podcast where in Picard he comments that his current Motley crew have much more baggage than the crew of the Enterprise did. And that's a commentary on 90s storytelling versus modern storytelling. Because in the 90s, yeah, they all did take it in their stride. You have people go through these kind of life-changing events and then they're fine the next week because that's how syndication works. It's just episodic storytelling, so... They can maybe refer to things that happened a week or so ago, but the impact on them as people isn't hugely visible. Whereas here it is, Mm. although you think they have to strike a bit of a balance because they are professional Starfleet officers and should have some degree of psychological training in terms of how to deal with these things. Doesn't mean they're easy to deal with, though. And I would rather have this because it's much more relatable, much more interesting, much more human But of course, I think Discovery has a tendency to slip too far into the emotional side of things at the expense of them being professionals as well, which Mm. is a problem. I think that maybe there should be a bit more conflict about having to keep your mind on the job while you're suffering through something else. And that's a balance they need to strike a bit better. But I don't know. It's just problematic in the way that yeah, these Starfleet officers are coming apart at the seams and they all need to good sit down with a counsellor, but they don't have one. So Culber's going to do it because he was dead and now isn't and understands what it's like to have a lot of changes in a short period of time. And he's resolved them within himself, I guess. So he's qualified to give advice on it. But I don't know. Could we have had a counsellor assigned to the ship after they found Starfleet? That could have been an interesting through line. They have someone they go and speak to every now and again, just to touch base and do a temperature check. And that is such corporate speech <laughs> that I'm doing there. I'm not going to do that again. That's uh, it makes me feel sick. It's like being <laughs> at work. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'll be saying going forward. And, uh, <laughs> maybe that's Saru's catchphrase. <laughs> going forward, everyone. Going forward. Or in this space, or let's touch base about this. I don't know. All this crap. <laughs> In these troubling times, we must come together and... uh, This unprecedented time. (laughs) Unprecedented, yeah. (laughs) These unprecedented times. What they all really needed was a well-being day, Craig. That's what they all needed. That's what they needed. They got to hug the tree, but did they get a whole day? (laughs) By March. Well, they didn't even get that much time because they were there for like two minutes and then Saru was like, right, guys, come back. You've seen the tree. It's time to get the crack on. (laughs) It's like, but... 
but but dad five more minutes it's like fine five more minutes but <laughs> the second you're aboard we're jumping out of here <laughs> yeah i mean it would have been interesting them having some form of psychiatrist maybe going between the different characters telling their story because they do that quite well sometimes in discovery is they will jump between the different crew members you got it i think it was towards the end of the last season where they were all recording their messages home before they jump to the future and they sort of jump between the different characters yeah and the briefing is or the debriefing in this season as well mm. yeah the sort of like, explaining I'm on good terms with my murderer that was a good line. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of did that a little bit, and I think it would have been interesting to do that again, maybe with a counsellor, or maybe they don't want to try doing the same thing too much. Maybe I'm asking for a bit. I would see it again and go, oh, I can't believe they repeated that. Well, it'd be a novelty to have a counsellor that's actually good at their job, because Troy was not. <laughs> it was telling. As much as when Picard is saying the crew didn't have baggage, he had a psychiatrist on the bridge at all times. <laughs> yeah, counsellor, what do you think? It's like, I think they're angry, Captain. Yeah, <laughs> got that much. They appear to be firing torpedoes at us. No kidding. <laughs> There's a Romulan on the view screen, sir. I sense deception. It's like, well, yeah, it's a Romulan. <laughs> of course, you sense deception. It's a Romulan. <laughs> I'm sensing sarcasm from you, Captain. Well, yeah. shucks. <laughs> Look, Troy. Do you not have an appointment or something? You are no good to me here. Please leave. Let's have someone sitting here that can actually help. <laughs> yeah a counselor character i guess they tried to do that with colburn it worked to an extent it worked when they committed to it they didn't often commit to it was the issue that's true but they gave him quite a lot this season we're helping out his other crewmates even Giorgio, his ongoing battle to try and treat Giorgio through the yeah. season it's his ongoing mission to try and help everyone on board and sometimes getting batted back for it yeah and the way he was taking control of the mental well-being of the crew because no one else was going to do it really worked and the bit where he gave saru the medical report well everyone's physically fine but they're all really anxious they're all really mentally not in a good place and we need to do something about that so let's have dinner for everyone that's on the bridge and then we'll do movie night where everyone has to sit on a freezing cold shuttle bay floor <laughs> and watch a very old movie that's in the CBS slash Paramount archive. Yes, it was very much a copyright-free performance. <laughs> they had. Yeah. The rights of this have long since expired. They did that a lot in Enterprise as well whenever they did movie night. It's like, oh, this, here's an old Paramount movie that won't cost them anything. This classic <laughs> movie that they're all watching it's, does no one on the crew want to watch the Avengers? Does that not survive? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> the Avengers was distributed by Paramount, so maybe they could use it. Oh, interesting. That's what we want next season. They might all be sitting around watching the Avengers. It's, you remember the superhero boon of the 21st century? It's like, can you believe that it's the 31st century and the MCU is still going on? <laughs> I mean, instead of having their sort of Captain Proton holodeck program, they're all being different Avengers. I'm up for that. That's fine. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Did the MCU survive to the Did 31st century? do the Trek shorts. Let's have that, yeah. please. <laughs> Let's have Stamets dressed as Captain America. I know this is the blonde <laughs> one, I guess. That's <laughs> the best not? way to do it. But Detmer, they give her something to do where they didn't give anybody else anything to do. I was having this discussion with some other people where when it comes to the bridge crew, 
try and name them all. Both their names, like their first and second name, and what they do. You've got like Reese, but I don't know what his first name is. He's a tactical guy. There's some other guy who does, I don't know what he does. Nielsen, don't know what she does. Oh, well, she's a navigator. She sometimes gets lines. There's a problem there because we don't know who half these people are. But they've been here for three seasons. <laughs> it's true because normally you're so used to the bridge crew being the centre of a Trek show. Whereas this, it, it sort of splinters off and they introduce new characters and still don't go back and give you more about the bridge crew. Yeah. Speaking of new characters, we have Adira, Star Trek's first non-binary character. I liked Adira a lot, actually. I think what they did with them, pronouns, we have to be very careful with our pronouns. It's especially interesting on this one because they started off as a she. So the character was a she for a little while until telling Stamets, actually, I've never felt like a she, I'm a them or a they. And Stamets was like, yeah, cool, whatever, doesn't bother me, I will change immediately. And that's the right way of doing it. Of course, they could have done something else and had someone on the crew just be like, I'm not going to even think about changing the way I think of gender in this way. So I'm just going to keep calling you she and then see how they have to deal with it. Because I think we discussed this a lot on Supergirl and things. They're very good at the internal conflict for the character realizing this thing about themselves and then the whole coming out piece, but not so good at the whole, sometimes people are going to have a problem with this side of it. Because that's the reality. A lot of Supergirl is sending out a positive message. So a lot of the time they will do a, like you say, a coming out scene and there won't be any conflict out of it. There wasn't necessarily conflict out of this either, but... No, there wasn't any. I really liked the way that relationship developed with Stamets and Colbert and Adira. It just seemed like it was just right. It was just really right because for the scientific minds to get together and for them to be bouncing off each other, and then for them to be so open with each other and willing to trade advice. It just worked as a naturally forming little relationship, a unit together, and I thought they were just great on screen. Yeah, and they became family. Mm. And some people have said they didn't earn it. I think they did. I think they did enough work on screen. The actors really sold the fact that they became that close And that really worked for me. Adira was a character I liked a lot. I like the fact that they're young and have lost someone really close to them early on and they're kind of haunted by that person as well, which doesn't help. And the bit of the season where Grey decides not to manifest and doesn't show up for them and then does because you have that whole isolationist aspect. You've got that problem of Adira isn't making connections in the real world because it's so fixated on grey and grey doesn't want that for them so you've got that idea of am i just going to talk to my ghost that only i can see or am i actually going to make connections then you've got this whole issue about grey is well it's confirmed that grey's consciousness is actually there it's not a hallucination it's not imagination it's not anything like that because some ancient, well not ancient, some hundred-year-old holodeck technology identifies him as a life form and creates a holographic avatar for him, which they will definitely be doing next season because if a hundred-year-old holodeck can do it, they can find a way to do it, no problem, on Discovery. So that'll be happening next season. But then 
maybe you have this issue of, well, a deer is going to age and grow and grey might not because of being a hologram. But at the same time, is that whole forcing someone out of their comfort zone thing? So grey represents that comfort zone for Adira. And then they have to get around that. Or they have to figure out a way to, to just connect, which isn't easy for everybody. And they acknowledged that and they dealt with that really well. I think they dealt with the trauma of what happened to Grey, the passing of the symbiote having to be this this sort of rushed instant thing that wasn't planned, that they weren't prepared and they didn't know what to expect, I think was really well done. I was sort of disappointed that when they did the moment in the reflecting pool, I'm trying to think of what to call it. I don't know what to officially call it. When they did their moment (laughs) on Trill and they went to the temple, the sacred place that no one's going to get to, apart from we've now made an exemption, Burnham, you're allowed in. (laughs) Because you're Burnham. Yeah, you're Michael Burnham. Yeah, because you're Burnham and you've got to be in this scene for reasons. I was kind of disappointed that that moment and the explanation of that moment, it seemed more from Burnham's point of view when they put that on screen. The way they scripted it and staged it, and I thought that was a bit of a shame. I think it should be more focused on Adira, and I don't think necessarily that Burnham needed to be in that sort of vision quest for want of a better description well that speaks to one of my major problems with not burnham as a character as such but the way she's handled within the show so there are two big instances this season where it made no sense for burnham to be involved but she was that's one of them and colber goes to her and says i could go on this away mission with adira but you should do it because i don't know why just because you're the lead i guess but at that point colber had the connection to adira it was a very new connection, but that was the opportunity to develop it by him going with her. It was a her at that point, him going with them. It's, yeah, I am going to get it wrong occasionally, but I am trying to do it right. It's all new to me and it's difficult to get out of those old habits, isn't it? I think it's okay to admit that. But anyway, Culber could have been on that mission with them and developed their relationship that way. Maybe he could have went into the vision quest and help them resolve that issue? Maybe not. But it certainly didn't make sense for Burnham to be there. The other one was when Nan was talking to that other member of our species and Colbert was like, she's too close to this, you should step in. At that point, I was just like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> of course she's too close to this, it's a member of our species. That makes her the right person for this. She understands this person. On some level. I was actually surprised when you got to the Sukal stuff and Suru was like, I'm going to help him find his way to the real world. And I was half expecting Colbert to be like, I really wish Burnham was here so we could get her. (laughs) (laughs) The thing as well is even after that moment, you think, oh, so they're going to be more tied to Burnham going forward. Because I thought, oh, they're aiming more towards Starbits and Colbert, but oh, they're aiming towards Burnham. But then after that moment that they spend and they go into the vision quest, they don't really pick up more of a relationship at that point. It is Stamets and Colbert. It just didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I don't remember a scene between Burnham and Adira after that episode. Nothing significant anyway. Nothing significant. Nothing as personal as the contact that they have with Colbert and Stamets. Yeah. So it just 
didn't seem to make sense. Maybe they were aiming for something different, but they didn't do it in the writing, I don't think. No. But like Tadira becoming part of that group, finding her place within that, internalising her feelings about Grey and how that fits in, finding her family with Culber and Stamets, finding her place on the, the crew. And the culmination of that is when she goes off on her own to help them. That's a good sign that I feel like I'm part of something now. I think I said her again, didn't I? You did a lot. Yeah, with them. Them, yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult. I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that there is an adjustment period to that and it's very difficult to get around these ingrained habits that you've always had mm. in terms of how you think about referring to people and defining people and how people want to define themselves. I think there's an education piece there. And of course, I think people are have the right to be referred to as whatever they want. And then it's our responsibility to get to the point where that becomes second nature for us. But it's not going to happen immediately. Well said. So let's move on to Book or Cleveland Booker. I liked him. I liked David Ayala. He had a disappointing role in Supergirl as Manchester Black, but he's here oh. and he's really good. Don't remind, don't <laughs> remind me of that. You'll put me, you'll put me off book now. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, David Ayala is brilliant. I liked his relationship with Burnham. They had such a natural connection. Once they got away from the whole, I don't like you because I don't know you thing. And then after they spent a year together sort of being flirtatious, well, implied flirtatious, we don't actually see it. And then they get together and then Book becomes their kind of consultant in a way. His ship's in the shuttle bay. He helps out on stuff. I love it when he's like, I want to help out. And he says to Saru, and Saru's like, yeah, read the manual. And then he shows up later in engineering. He's like, I've read the manual. And <laughs> <laughs> I've read the manual. You should try this. Oh, by the way, I found this thing. And you can't have food in here. <laughs> just a little <laughs> aside as well. Oh, that was great. Just the way he walks in and inhabits that moment and just takes charge in a way. And I really liked that throughout the season. I really liked him. I thought he did a great job. I thought he was a great addition to the cast. He was fun. Once they got over the... The Han Solo. The, the Han Solo. The, the first episode, maybe the second episode as well, where they sort of introduced him as a freelancer who's out for himself and is taking his money by whatever means and he's going to lock up Burnham and trade her for money. And they were doing all that. And then it's like, oh, no, actually, he's a right softy. He has a cat who is his queen. <laughs> I was like... Oh, all right. Okay. I'd have preferred to just introduce him as that. Why have the the first character she meets is like, oh no, we've got to make sure that everyone knows it's a bit of a brutal cutthroat future. So even though Book is going to be key later on, we're going to introduce him as a nasty. She could have met anyone who took her to that market and locked her up and she could have met Book there rather than it being Book who, <laughs> who takes her there in the first place. Or, as I say, don't waste our time with that adventure. Yeah, can, I know, I know. Yeah. Maybe I'm coming down on your argument now. Maybe you're winning <laughs> me over to your side with that episode entirely. You should be deleted. Yeah. You've looped me back <laughs> on myself. I'm now agreeing with you. It just seemed like a, don't introduce him that way. It doesn't seem necessary. He did become a bit of one of these writers' utility belt things later in the season, where it would be, 
I happen to know there's a secret way to get back and forward to Starfleet from here that takes five minutes. And it's like, <laughs> really? Really, really? This wouldn't have been something that you could have just shared earlier on because any ship could have gone there instead of Discovery. No, no, no. I didn't want to share it until now. Yeah. We can't get through the nebula. I have my ship. Oh, cool. That worked. My mighty morphing <laughs> ship, which changes yeah, shape and does, shape, yeah. you know, with programmable matter. I mean, it's science fiction. I can't argue with programmable matter. I'll just let it be. But <laughs> sure, <laughs> let's let that happen. Isn't programmable matter a theoretical possibility at the moment, though? That's them just extrapolating it into something that will exist at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some ways you could potentially do that. You still need some sort of structure to hold the rest of it together when it's all morphing and moving because the equipment that makes it morph, move, and change by its nature needs to stay stationary in some way, I would think. But that's just me theorizing something that's complete make-believe at the moment <laughs> and theoretical. But yeah, I thought the design of the, the sort of command deck of that ship, I thought that was pretty cool. I liked the way it looked. It was very snazzy, very futuristic, taking us right into the sort of future thing. I, I liked it. But yeah, like I say, Book himself became a little bit of a... I just happen to know, through the way, in particular in the last episode, I know quite often when we do these full season roundups, a lot of it becomes about the last episode rather than the whole season. So I'll try not to do that too much. But in particular in this bit where they went, and he can control the drive. (laughs) I was like, oh, well, thank God for that. That just seemed to be another, oh, we've written ourselves into a corner. How do they get there? He can control the drive. There we go. We've solved it. Solved it, everyone. Nailed it. Thank God we made them talk to animals. (laughs) At least that made sense, though, because they had the empathic thing. So it wasn't that it came out of nowhere. It just, yeah, we weren't aware of how far his ability stretched. But the empathy worked really well. I think the way they exceeded that throughout the season was good. And you had that whole, well, the way he became convinced that he wanted to be not part of Starfleet, but he wanted to be helping because the Federation saved his home. They didn't ask for anything. And they've committed the resources to making sure that they were going to protect his home without any strings attached. And because he gets along so well with Burnham, because he's seen how the crew of Discovery operate, he just wants to be a part of that because he feels like he can do some good with them behind him and... That all worked for me. It all made sense. No, definitely. He trusts Burnham, and if Burnham trusts Starfleet, then he's in. Yeah. I think if she had declared, I don't trust them, I don't like new Starfleet, I'm off, he would have went, no question. I think he trusts her judgment and followed in that. But yeah, I think he developed really well, and overall I liked him. I think he was a good addition. I'm assuming he's sticking around for next season? I believe so, yeah. No problems there. I think he'll be great. See what they do with them. They tease the whole, I should tell you about my mentor, Cleveland Booker, one time. I stole his name. And you want to know why? Well, wait till next season. I might tell you. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but did he steal the cat? That's the important question. Did he steal grudge? Maybe the mentor is his cat. Or his oh, cat is he stole the identity of the cat. It's a programmable matter cat. <laughs> Explain I don't know, Grudge just seemed to be a cat. She's favouring her left paw and stuff like that, the way they just did little bits. Or the bit where they got a distress call and it was the cat on the screen. <laughs> that was good. She's a queen, yeah. Yes, that is uh, a shout before he kicked about the turbo lift, I think was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to George O, who appeared in 
about half the season before leaving. I think Giorgio is a bit of a troubling character because they need to get you away from the point she's a dictator that used to eat Kelpians. She literally ate one of Saru's people. We saw that happen on screen. And now we need to get to the point where she's one of our characters and she is ready to lead her own show. So they had to show that growth, but without taking the edge off, which I think they did really well, actually. I've always found Michelle Yeoh really watchable in that role. And when she leaves, I bought into the goodbye scene between her and Burnham. I thought that worked really well. Less over the crew or kind of eulogising her after the fact, because I don't believe that they had that kind of connection to her. But that's what Discovery does. They just assume that everybody has that connection and that we're going to go with it. We're not. Earn it. Show me it. All I've seen Giorgio do with these people is insult them. So why would they be bothered about the fact that she's gone? But anyway. And we had approximately an episode and a half that I think was a waste of time in the Mirror Universe where she was kind of reliving her past, sort of, and able to change it. And she changes it a bit by she befriends Saru, showing that she's grown to not be so racist. Still a little bit racist, but not as racist. So there's been growth there. And trying to actually run the Terran Empire instead of ruling through fear, which doesn't work out for her. But it was all a big test to see if she'd grown in any way and deserved to live. So I don't think we needed an episode and a half to show that. And the thing about the Mirror Universe is it's fun to a point, but the more exposure you get to the Mirror Universe, the more you start to think, this could never function. You wouldn't be able to get through a day without someone trying to kill you. (laughs) How does anybody get anything done? How is there a fleet? How is there a hierarchy? Why isn't it just a bloodbath all the time? Because that's essentially what it is. I mean, how many attempted coups did we see in that one episode or one episode and a half? Yeah, they're all basically killing each other off to get promoted, aren't they? They're all in a race to become emperor themselves. It's who outpaces the other. I'm with you. I think I would last about five minutes in the Mirror Universe. I I wouldn't make it out of nursery. I'd have been killed off by one of the other kids at nursery. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah because Terran you have Empire the nursery. blocks or something like that that they want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got they're the best seat. You nope, turn on anymore. the seesaw and they just murder you. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to train yeah. them young in the Terran Empire. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, the thing is, I enjoyed what they did in the Mirror Universe a lot in the second episode. I liked a lot of the development and the changes and it did highlight how much they've tweaked Giorgio's character to a point. Yeah. As much as she doesn't show it as much to the Discovery crew, it sort of showed it more in the Terran universe. It's like she won't accept that she's changed with the Discovery crew, but she was happy to try and change in the Terran universe, if you know what I mean, in the Mirror universe. Yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting. And yeah, it's it's good to see the crew doing evil versions of yourself. You've got more character moments out of some of the bridge crew in the Mirror Universe episodes than you did in the rest of the season. (laughs) They got some more lines in there than they got the rest of it, when they're all competing to be in charge. It was interesting seeing it. I thought they did some cool stuff, but I'm a bit like you. When they do an alt-timeline story where they're getting flung out and then it gets erased at the end, or they do a Mirror Universe sort of story... You sit there and go, oh, you're just burning time because this means nothing to our main plot at the moment. Until something crosses over or comes back, this means nothing. And as it was, like you say, you could delete that out and it wouldn't mean anything. I like Giorgio. I'm like you. I like Giorgio as a character. 
I don't understand why they took her to the future if their entire plan the whole time was to fling her into a different show. <laughs> to send her back, yeah. Why? Why is she there? I get that you wanted to have the moment where you go, oh, well, she's not going to leave Burnham. Okay, well, don't put her in the other show then. If you want her to be with Burnham, put her with Burnham. But to have this uh, coming over and then going, oh, well, actually, she can't survive here anyway, so we're going to take her back to this other franchise, thanks. This other series needs George Joe. We need more established characters in this other show, and George Joe's one of them. That seemed a waste to me. Yeah, definitely. And the Mirror Universe is usually quite fun, to be fair. I think there's been a few episodes where it's featured that it's been really fun. I think the favourite of mine is the original series one, the first one, Mirror Mirror. I think it's brilliant. And some of the Deep Space Nine ones are okay. The Enterprise two-parter, of course, it's good fun. It's just nuts and good fun. Whereas I think in Discovery, they try and do that thing where let's try and figure out how this works on an organisational level, and it doesn't. It's not supposed to. <laughs> yes, how does a society function? It's like, no, don't, don't try, don't. <laughs> Yeah, so they had an extended arc where they kind of tried to play with that and then you had these two episodes, or episode and a half, but it was stretched across two episodes where Giorgio was at the head of this thing and trying to figure out how to run it better than had been the case before, but people still wanted to kill her. It turns out, after wanting to see Captain Killy, I didn't want to see Captain Killy because she wasn't as dialed up and ridiculous as I wanted her to be. Mirror Burnham was not very good at all, really. I wasn't that impressed by it. So I just think we spent too much time there. And if you think about how the rest of the season was already stuck for time, and then you've got this two-episode run where it's a backdoor pilot for another show, in a sense. I know the show isn't going to be that, but it's just to explain why Giorgio made it onto this other show. And I guess it's now ambiguous when that show is going to be set. I assumed it was going to be the 23rd century and you would have Tyler in it and stuff. Now I'm not so sure. We don't know where she was sent back to. Yeah, you don't know when she's going to pop up. Could be the 23rd century, 24th. Yeah, who knows? She's going to be in Picard next, right? Oh, God. Next season of Picard's going to have Giorgio in it. But for only nope. for half the season. And then they're like, no, you don't fit in here either. <laughs> <laughs> this Where's also isn't your place. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I just like them pinging her about all the different shows. No word of a lie, I thought that Picard was going to turn up as the Federation president that they mentioned and never introduced. <laughs> There's going to be like, well, they lied to me about my android body expiring. It's still going. <laughs> Turns out I can choose to live. Yeah, <laughs> I decided like I still had so much more to do. Yeah. I'm now president. Yeah. I'll tell you who I was going We did not get more evil Lorca. Where was more evil Lorca? They had an entire excuse. They mentioned him like 20 times. When they found that guy in that shuttle, that was clearly supposed to be him. I think they must have just changed the script last minute when Jason Isaacs wasn't available or didn't want to do it. They could have just sent a green screen round his house and a uniform for him to put on to appear on a view screen or something. Surely. Come on. Nah, I never even had enough time for that. He couldn't even be bothered with that. Come on, Jason. Yeah, just we want Lorca. No. Give us evil He'll Lorca. He'll appear on that Star Trek day thing and have a chat, but he won't appear on the, in the shuttle. <laughs> But yeah, you can't criticise the episode for that because it's availability and it's a thankless, pointless role anyway. So it would have just yeah. been a cameo and he would have just been killed or would have been revealed that Burnham was working for him. Who cares, really? Again, all of the plotting in those two episodes I don't really care about. I did have a bit of a fan moment when the Guardian of Forever was revealed, though. Mm. I thought that was good. Even though I knew it was going to happen because the newspaper references things from City and the Edge of Forever. 
in the first episode, ah. so I was positive that that was going to be the result anyway. But still, it hit me when it it happened, and it was meaningful fan service in the sense that it still makes sense for it to happen. I know that some purists might say, but the Guardian of Forever is an omnipotent being. It's a cheap-looking arch thing that they can jump through. <laughs> well, it can be both. There's it nothing be both. in City of the Edge of Forever that suggests that it's not that. So I was more sitting there and going, I recognise that guy. And I was like, oh, he was the detective in CSI. <laughs> well, that was my tired, sorry. <laughs> you were reading the newspaper and going, oh, it's the Guardian Forever. I'm sitting there going, I'm sure that's the guy off of CSI. <laughs> Carl. I liked Carl. But he could have just easily been a powerful godlike being and you could have left it at that as well. Yeah, some benevolent cue or something, yeah. Yeah. The story works either way. It really does. So I was fine with that. And it was good to get a call back to the Guardian of Forever after 50-odd years as well. Discovery's good at doing 50-year-old callbacks. Yeah. Discovery's your jam for that kind of thing. Yeah, and you had a bit of a Spock reference in there and a Leonard Nimoy holographic cameo when they did Unification 3, which I thought Mm. was... Not a great episode because, again, they didn't dig enough into the detail of the situation that I wanted to see. They were having a debate and they were having a hearing about whether Burnham should get this information, but it didn't work because it just turned into an excuse for Burnham to resolve her issues rather than actually discuss anything wider reaching and more all-encompassing than that. But, I don't know, it was still good to see Leonard Nimoy in that way. Yeah, it was good for them to reference it. I mean, that episode, I mean, it answered the question of, oh, what happened to Burnham's mum at the end? Let's do not very much with this. And what happened? (laughs) Obviously, they did a what's happened to Vulcan because we had to discover that it was good to sort of see a little bit more and that they've also become more isolationist. They've done very similar to Earth. I thought that was interesting as a take. But yeah, like you say, it's it's a bit like the Earth thing. It's like you don't get much more of an explanation than you have. Yeah, so the Vulcans and the Romulans united, but what does that mean? Well, in the context of the episode and the show, absolutely nothing. They don't cover it in any detail. How did it happen? What was the catalyst for it happening? What were the early years of their reunification mm. like? Was there conflict? Is there still conflict? They do mention the whole, well, this could wake up some old resentments. All right, okay, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of hinted that we're integrated, but we're not that well integrated. Yeah. Technically, we're together, but... Yeah, we're also all living on this one planet, despite the fact the Romulans had a whole empire at some point. What happened to the Romulan Star Empire? Is it gone? Who knows? Maybe. I mean, none of it. Yeah, let's not answer these questions, because that would be depth and world building, and we can't be having that, because <laughs> Burnham needs to prove to her mum that she's grown up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I have the feeling that a lot of it is we do not want to commit to any future storytelling just in case we want to write something later and we can't do it because fans will say, oh, but when you did Discovery, you said. (laughs) Fans have been doing that for decades anyway. I know, It's not going to stop it now. (laughs) That's what we do. Yeah, it's our job. We sit there and we we criticise the whole thing. We point to that one episode (laughs) and tell you that you've ruined all of the canon. It's our thing. Stop taking that from us by not writing the answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Giorgio's exit, all right, in a way, not great in others. Yeah. It actually piqued my interest when she was all spaced out after talking to David Cronenberg. 
because mm. it looked like he'd really got under her skin somehow. Turns out he didn't, and it was just because she was coming apart on a molecular level, and that was why she felt out of sorts. Because after that, I was wondering, wow, what happened in the rest of that conversation that we didn't see? Yeah, what, what did he do to did her? He do yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing apparently. He's just an eccentric guy that wears glasses to look smart. That's all he is. There's nothing <laughs> it more was, to that. It was sort of my tie-in to a lot of the future Starfleet stuff, where I kept going, "Oh, maybe it turned out Starfleet caused the burn, and they're all kind of evil, and they're wanting to cover it up, and he's done something to Giorgio because she's going to figure it out because of the Terran Empire stuff. She's going to figure out what they've done. She's got like an inside. Nope, she's just ill. She's just not feeling well. Okay, cool. She's just ill, and the Federation aren't compromised in any way. Yeah, <laughs> she's just ill. The Federation aren't compromised. I did like in that interrogation chat scene that they were doing where she managed to glitch out the hologram, the truth-telling hologram by blinking too many times. I loved it. I thought that was great. I can't wait till she meets Bob Picardo's doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Or what's his name? Rios's crew. Oh God, yeah, the whole whole Rios's crew. Oh no. It seems like a poorly programmed hologram if you can defeat it by blinking. I'm just thinking of all those holodeck, you know, when the holodeck takeover episodes happen inevitably. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's malfunctioned again and all the safeties are off. If you just blink really fast in their eyes, the holograms will all fall apart. That in itself is kind of a bit of a TOS callback, though, because there was a couple of episodes where they came across certain technology and they defeated it in really bizarre ways. Kirk would have to outlogic a computer or... <laughs> there was an episode with a bunch of androids and, and they managed to destroy them there's like identical female androids and Spock says I love you but I hate you and they reply with but we are identical and it's like yeah that's why I hate you because you're identical to her and they can't take it they just <laughs> <laughs> they just shut down so that's a very original series sort of idea so I like the blinking to turn off the hologram thing I thought that worked because of that. And maybe these holograms are quite rudimentary because they're only designed to do certain things. I did like the fact that everyone was awkward around it because it just had that casual smile. I don't know who the actor is. I'm really sorry. I would need to look yeah, up I don't on know IMDb. Eli, Eli, the, the truth hologram. But the fact that he managed to keep that sort of straight face through doing those scenes and the actors were able to continue on with that. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a lot more dramatic scenes going on in this show, but the fact that they were able to carry that out, well done. (laughs) No, it's little moments like that that you remember, though. That's the thing. So, Admiral Vance. We're used to not having great admirals. Discovery has done really well by its admirals, actually. Cornwell was good when she was in it, before she died because she couldn't shut a door properly. (laughs) That's what you don't want. But anyway... (laughs) It is what it is. So Vance was really good. I like how they established him as being this no-nonsense admiral guy. And it turns out it's because he has a really tough job to do. He has to make on-the-spot decisions that affect a lot of people. And it's not a great position to be in. Becomes that mentor figure for Saru throughout the season that works really well. He's always talking about the importance of orders, but he has that little human touch to him as well. And Oded Fair... I think he's great. I mean, I actually recently rewatched the two Mummy movies. He's in them mm. as Ardeth Bay, the character's name is, and he's great in that. He's also in two of the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> I like them, but they're not good, but he's in two of them, and he's good in those two. So when Oded Fair showed up, everyone was gushing about David Cronenberg, and I was like, it's Oded Fair. I like Oded Fair. And 
I'm really glad that he stuck around throughout the whole season and he was as good as he was. Yeah, I thought he was great. I think I said to you in a couple of off-air chats, I spent a lot of my time going, but he's going to turn out to be evil and manipulative, right? There's going to be a problem with this admiral. There's definitely something fishy about this admiral. It turns out, nope, he's just an admiral. <laughs> he's just yeah. doing his job, doing his thing. Yeah, I was with you. He was really well done. He was really believable. He's had this random ship appear saying that it's from the past and it's jumped all the way to the future. Of course, he's going to treat that with a little bit of suspicion and a little bit yeah. of a, oh, really? Tell me more about your ship from the past, will you? We've searched <laughs> the archives and there's no details of you. Oh, that's because they deleted them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you. It's because they said never speak of it again. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know they all got vowed to silence, and everyone lied on the reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got you. Oh, there was an AI that took over half a Starfleet. No, don't believe you. What a pile of nonsense! Is that the same one that was going to destroy us because of these androids a hundred years later? It's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. But that sounds no. like the same thing. No, no, it's not the same thing. <laughs> no, definitely not the same thing. Please ignore this. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was really good overall. In the end, yeah, I was very much for him. There was some. Elements of the second last episode that sort of confused me when he goes face to face with Osira in peace negotiations, unexpected peace negotiations at gunpoint, <laughs> where, yeah. where he was just doing a very long read of terms and conditions. Yeah, I'm going to read this document. <laughs> read this document, please, and tick the box at the bottom. You've also got to pick out all the bicycles that are in these pictographs. Thanks. <laughs> It was one of those. And I'm sitting looking going, really? I didn't quite get if he's reporting to someone or if he's negotiating on behalf of what kind of government is floating about around them. He did say the president gave me permission to do this. Yeah. So the president's in an office somewhere, I guess, on that facility. I don't know. There or on another planet or somewhere out the way. I don't know. There's a little bit of me going, okay, so this is just one admiral who's in charge of the fleet now. Starfleet's reduced to a overworked admiral but it's very similar today you'll have one overworked person who's responsible for everything and the manager is somewhere else and has yeah. said yeah you can delegate on my behalf i've put you on yeah. my office i'm off to play golf <laughs> oh timely <laughs> very timely yeah. but yeah overall i liked him it's just i kept waiting this entire season even up to the last episode i kept waiting for some sort of drop of, oh, Starfleet have done something nasty, or Starfleet, it's not what it seems. There was lots of these sort of little hints, these little moments that make you go, oh, that seems, oh, no, it's actually fine. (laughs) It it would take you up to that line and then go, no, it's fine. Is that all right? Well, there was a suggestion throughout that people seemed wary of the Federation and things like that. And maybe it would have been good to see there's something about them that's been compromised. Not to the point of we're now the bad guys, Mm. But maybe to the point that we're not what we once were, and then Vance has made some bad decisions in his past or difficult decisions he had to make in order to keep the Federation going that he now regrets and is maybe living with. You could add a bit of history with Osira. It's like we took resources from them. We took some dilithium from them to keep ourselves running, and now we're in debt to them, and now they're coming after us for that reason because we can't pay. Mm. whatever it is the price is that we're supposed to they could have done stuff like that it's like okay yeah we have compromised our moral fiber a bit at some point but you can have people step over lines do different things without fundamentally compromising who they are look at season three of enterprise for example archer 
orders an attack on an innocent ship so he can steal a warp coil because he needs it to get on the go again. But that doesn't mean that Archer is just going to start plundering ships left, right and centre. It's a decision he makes that he feels he had to at the time that he will regret for the rest of his life. And you could have done that with Vance or with someone else at Starfleet. We made a deal with the Emerald Chain and now we're suffering for it. Mm. They could have done that. That could have been the twist. Osira turns up. It's like, hi, Osira. I haven't got your money yet. Come back next week. And it's, okay, we'll take Discovery instead. That'll settle the payment. And then he has to decide, is losing Discovery worth maintaining this fragile Federation setup that we currently have? Mm. Could it be it? I don't know. I just came up with that on the fly as well. It's not in my <laughs> review because I didn't think about it at the time, but now it makes sense to me that Starfleet could have been compromised in that way. Just in that small, well, in that one way. You don't have to have the whole organization that's upended and is corrupt. You could just have, there is a corruption in there, a small thing that they did that is now making it difficult. Yeah, there was a desperate times, desperate measures kind of thing that's happened. Yeah, that would have been really cool, actually, to see that play out. And then you could have someone like Saru be self-righteous. It's Starfleet doesn't compromise. We find another way. And it's like, there was no other way. Mm. The fleet was running dry. We needed to do something. We had this offer. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Newsflash, it was not a good idea at the time. And now we're paying for it. We didn't realise where the dilithium was coming from. We didn't realise the conditions that the people were mining it in. Something like that. Yeah. Or we didn't realise that we were dealing with Osira, who is not a nice person. So that's that. But Ivan's really good. I'm hoping he's sticking around. I think his final scene with Burnham was ridiculous. (laughs) That whole, my daughter drew pictures instead of doing math and that means I understand why you don't follow the rules and I'm happy with you not following the rules and that's great so here you go be in command now that felt out of character for Vance for me yeah it didn't seem like a very I'm trying to think of a way to put it it didn't seem like the way would have come round to that decision considering it was him that was very much pushing for her to get demoted there needs to be consequences to what she's done that was his thing and then after a few actions after john mclean and her way around discovery it's like oh actually you're fine you're captain now i've put you in charge yeah and then what she was doing wasn't against protocol at that point either she was just trying to retake the ship so what about that is doing things not necessarily the right way, but her own way that also works. Yeah. There's another podcast I listen to, and it's part of the We Made This Network, which I am also a part of a little bit. So I do things there. But their discovery podcast, We Are Starfleet, they discuss the whole thing about, we should have seen that scene where Saru tried to convince Vance that Burnham was the right choice to take discovery. Or maybe it's a conversation between the three of them Mm. where they discuss it and ultimately it's decided Burnham's the best choice because of her experience. And then Vance puts her in command in spite of the fact that she doesn't always do what she's told. It's, well, she may not always do what she's told, but she's the best option you have right now because I'm going to take a leave of absence while I go and deal with this guy on Kaminar. I need to teach this guy how to be part of the world again that's my responsibility for now yeah that's a good ending for saru because it makes sense for him to just end up there at the moment because 
I need to help Sukal. He trusts me. He doesn't have anyone else. And I'm just going to be there to help him settle back in. And then I'll get back to work when that's done. However long that takes, I'll get back to work after that. But in the meantime, Burnham should take command because she is the best option. And I know you're going to have trouble with her. You're going to argue with her a lot. She's probably going to break the rules a lot. But let's face it, she's the best choice you've got. And Vance could reluctantly agree to that. Yeah, but I'm with you. I think seeing that kind of discussion would have made more sense. Yeah, definitely. So Osira, a lot of her content was in relation to Vance, although her introduction, she was a one-note villain who was extorting a planet. Fine. <laughs> Janet Kidder is good in the role. Remember her as Damien Dark's wife in Arrow? Ruve Dark, Ruve Adams when she ran for mayor. That's the same person, Janet Kidder. So there you go. Do you know what? Like. I didn't put two and two together. There you go. Now you do. Now you know. Now I know. half the battle. Yeah, so Osira looked like she was a villain, as you say, a mobster in charge of a small yet significant group that has some kind of pool in the galaxy. Then it turns out it's an organisation with governance and, what was it, a congress, they called it? It was a congress, wasn't it? Yeah, jeez. And, oh yeah, I've put forward a motion to outlaw slavery and I might have enough support, but it's taken me a lot of political clout. When was this going to be important? Yeah. And it's not important at all because as soon as Osira dies, the chain apparently collapses anyway. So that makes no sense to me. But anyway. It does seem like there would have been someone to take her place, vowing for all these many people that she's been trying to negotiate with that someone would have stepped up to be boss. Well, the whole idea is it's the emerald chain and the leading into the chain side of it suggests that there are other links in that chain. Mm. So taking out one of them doesn't destroy the chain. So can't we just end the season with, right, what Osira was doing is actually gone, but we still have the Emerald Chain to deal with. And maybe it could even be that motion to outlaw slavery is now gone because Osira's gone. It's now worse. So yeah. yeah. But there's also the fact that it's a very bloodthirsty sort of ending for her as well. I mean, her ending's quite understated, but even after she has that discussion with Vance about the treaty and all that kind of stuff, she becomes our one-note villainous self again after that. And then Burnham kills her. And it's kind of unceremonious the way she kills her as well. And yeah, it's just whatever. I was very much the same as you. That conversation with her and Vance where she was going to name her terms, what I want sort of thing, the I am holding all the cards sort of speech moment with Eli, the bot, in there again for the negotiation. This was another moment where I was expecting oh, this is going to be a plot twist because she's saying one thing, but in the background, the reason that she's there is because she's hacking the computers to give away Federation secrets or she's downloading a virus that's going to disable every ship. There's a reason that she's went over there. And then it's actually, oh, she's truthfully negotiating for peace, which was a point that I did not see coming when she turned up on a ship covered in hostages. Surely you could have negotiated for this another way you could have sent one <laughs> tiny ship as you're like herald ahead going osira wishes to speak with you she's coming she's unarmed <laughs> we're here for diplomatic yeah. talks or we've designated a neutral location you may yeah. arrive with one other person she will be with one other person we'll sit at this table and have a chat yeah we wish to communicate terms we wish to discuss this treaty with you but it was like i want to discuss this treaty with you i have a ship of hostages i have stolen the only jump capable ship that exists it just seemed 
like such a weird plot for a villain. You could have had she's stolen Discovery because once she has a spore drive, she could fit it to every ship and she would have dominance across space. That's a plot. That seems yeah. like a reason that she would take Discovery. Otherwise, it seems like she already has a pretty dominant fleet ship. Having Discovery inside the shield doesn't seem to do much for her, apart from the no. fact she can beam over and have a chat with Vance and have some tea and slag off these fruit platter. <laughs> For that, it just seemed really disappointing. And I don't know if they were always intending for her to be some form of endpoint villain. It's almost like they introduced her en route and then went, oh, actually, we need a bigger end game. We need to up stakes. We need someone to be wanting to do something. Oh, right, we'll, we'll do this with her. How will we make it more interesting? Oh, she's actually there to negotiate peace. Subverting expectations that they've done a lot through the season. Yeah. They've subverted expectations. So this is another subversion. You're expecting... She's going to negotiate for their surrender. I'm going to destroy your fleet. I'm going to wipe Starfleet off the map. I'm going to blow up Discovery in the center of here and take out all your ships at once. This is my plan. I'm going to now hold you all hostage with this button that I have, this clicker. But no, it turns out, oh, I want peace. And the thing that actually throws it out is him saying, oh, well, you would need to be held to account if you want peace. And then she immediately goes back to the ship and is like, okay, well, that didn't work. So now I'm going to torture you to death until you reveal the site of the Stylithium planet. (laughs) It's like, what? Hang on. (laughs) That negotiation really didn't end well. Meanwhile, she's obviously not passed the memo on to her people on the ship. The message to them doesn't seem to be, by the way, you're simply taking care of these hostages while I make peace negotiations over there, okay? So what you're to do is not harm any of the hostages, not be threatening to them, explain to them exactly what I'm doing, and that way they won't try and fight back and kill us all, okay? And there won't be any bloodshed, and it'll all go well, and I'll get this treaty signed. Cool. All right, I'm just going to go over there and sign the treaty. Meanwhile, yeah. back on the ship, they're like, nope, we're going to kill them all and space them. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it was like, what? It's like, speak to your guy. covered it when Van said, Starfleet won't fire first. Is that understood? I think that was implied that that was on the facility, but the mm-hmm. suggestion was that maybe she'd... Well, Osira was just very, being very careful to make sure they were kept prisoner. Mm. The bridge crew were kept prisoner, and then it was that whole, we can't harm you thing. But then the bridge crew didn't extend that same courtesy. They were concerned of retaking the ship. But you just flip back to them. Well, that one stab at peace that I made didn't work, so turn the life support off. And let's get working on you. But I don't know, if she had done something different where she had spoken to Tilly and spoken to everyone in there once she had taken the ship, Yeah. went, by the way, here's what gives. Here's a copy of this treaty that I'm taking over to Vance. I want him to sign this. Yeah. Would the crew then have rebelled to the extent that they did, knowing that actually their captor was over there trying to negotiate peace rather than a stranglehold on the ship? Because it doesn't seem like the worst deal that she's presenting. It is not the perfect deal. They're not giving away everything that they have. In 20 years, we'll have handed back five planets. Well, that seems to be taking an awful long time. That's very real, though, because that's how things yeah. really work. It's not an immediate it? not, withdrawal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we can't do this overnight. Bear that in mind. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem unreal. It just I didn't quite get her strategy and what she was trying to achieve. And then immediately she turned to villainy. I was expecting that, oh, well, I've actually hacked your robots, so they're no longer detecting truth. They're actually saying that they're detecting lies. Because we had that whole thing about glitching them out with blinking earlier. So I thought, oh, well, maybe there's another glitch. Uh, We stop them detecting the truth. We know you always use these holograms, and we've uploaded something as we got to Discovery that has scrambled the holograms, so they're doing the opposite of the job that they should be doing. Anything like that 
I think I would have preferred over her going there and genuinely trying to negotiate peace, especially when the episode after it all just descends into murderous chaos. Yeah, and I think Osira shouldn't have been killed. She should have stood trial. Yes. Because that's the Starfleet way, isn't it? Or it should be the Starfleet way instead of, yeah, let's just kill everybody. Also, let's beam all the regulators off the ship. Luckily, the computer knew what a regulator was and what wasn't. And that's a <laughs> detonator warp core inside the ship as well. Let's just kill everybody. Why not? <laughs> so, yeah, it's not very Starfleet. Sure, maybe it felt like they were in that position where that was the only choice, but also would jumping out of the ship have destroyed it? Maybe not. So they could have just done that. Don't know. But it's very bloodthirsty. And so I think they do sometimes need to remember that they need to hold up to these Federation ideals and Burnham isn't going to kill Osira, even though maybe she deserves it, maybe she doesn't. But at the same time, let's have someone answer for her crimes. Let's have accountability. Let's have that detail. Let's have that discussion because, Mm. again, that's compelling. That's Star Trek. We take these difficult issues and we address them and we discuss them and we put them through a science fiction lens. So, yeah, let's look at a war criminal, if war criminal is the right word. Let's look at this dictator being put on trial for what she's done. Maybe we can compare it to some things that have happened in our own world. I think it would have been a better way of them getting off the ship is sort of holding Osira, flipping it, and you've got Osira as hostage. You're wanting out of there, otherwise something's going to happen to Osira. Because like you say, detonating the core and destroying that whole ship, from what you've heard from the scientist who was only introduced an episode ago, He's like, oh, well, actually, I think she's pretty great and she's done this for me, but I'm sort of ignoring everything else that's going on. The computer knew not to beam him out. (laughs) Yeah, the computer knew not to beam him out. Plus, how many other innocents, in inverted commas, are on Osiris' ship? They've already said that she trades a lot of slaves. She does a lot of slaves. She's got a lot of prisoners. It doesn't seem like the very Starfleet option to go, well, they all go. They all get exploded. It would normally be that, oh, well, we've got to try and save the prisoners before we destroy all the villains. Yeah, signal the fleet, the Federation fleet and the Hmm. Navar fleet that are kind of there, but pointlessly there. They don't make any difference. Signal them to tell them we're jumping out and they can proceed with their attack on the Viridian. There you go. Yeah. Let's get a good look at the Voyager J. Yeah, let us see Voyager, old damn it. <laughs> yeah, the new Voyager. Stop so s- stop talking about it. Let us see it. Yeah. <laughs> and not just in a kind of lens flary distance. <laughs> it's there somewhere. We've told Voyager not to fire. Voyager are going on route. Voyager are there now. Let us see it, damn yeah. it. <laughs> Even them yeah. up at the windows going, oh, what's that called? Voyager. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, let me see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Osira, kind of a disappointing villain, kind of a disappointing story around that villain. Kind of comes to nothing, really. Although as a sidebar, I will say I did quite like the fact that when our people took Discovery, they installed their own operating system. We've never seen that before in Star Trek. They usually just try and work the ship based on the way it is. But I like the idea. No, no, we're going to install software that is listening to us. That's good. Yeah. Your sort of default Starship Operations version 2.0 or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, we've overwritten it. <laughs> we prefer Linux over Starfleet OS. Yeah, well, was it not in the first season of Discovery they showed a certain type of coding language that we use now? Oh, I can't remember now. I don't know what it was, and I probably shouldn't have brought it up. But, like, <laughs> but it was, I don't know, it might have been basic or something like that, visual basic, or I don't know. Maybe that is not a real thing, and I'm, I have no idea what I'm talking about. No, basic, basic so, is a real thing. <laughs> okay, well, maybe that's what it was. But it's in the first episode that Discovery's in. 
when she has to go through lines of code and you see the language and it's, it's all right okay one of our three or four listeners might be in the know about that and screaming at us about the answer, but we can't hear you. This is the past. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on tape. We're on tape. <laughs> we're not live. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like that Spock hologram in that episode? That's what we're like. This was said before. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that they took over the ship. I like that they were efficient with it. It was well done. Like I say, my problem with it was they didn't seem to have much of a plan. It seemed like, okay, you've got Discovery, so now spend two months taking it to pieces and finding out how everything works. Then turn up at Starfleet and demand your piece. It seemed like a very rushed... I've just taken Discovery and now I'm going to go to Starfleet and demand peace. You could have done so much more with Discovery before then. What was the rush? It would be really cool if they managed to rebuild the spore drive, build a new one, and then the Viridian jumps into the middle of Starfleet headquarters. Yes, that would have been like a big plot twisty turny bit. Yeah. Jump forward a little bit, go, oh, it's been a month, where's Discovery, what's going on? But then obviously all the time pressure was, you've got the people on the planet, plus the action going on at Starfleet. So they had already made the timeline so that you couldn't have one away from the other. Yeah, but they didn't have to do that. They could have yeah, yeah, yeah. They, could, they could have written it yeah. that you could be on the planet. You know, oh, the radiation would be fine. As long as we're back within a month, there's no way it'll break us down. And then suddenly... Yeah, it's like Chernobyl. It's you can be there for a few months before you have anything to worry yeah. about. So that was a bit disappointing. Let's talk about the burn. <laughs> the big mystery of the season. And every week, I just kept saying... I don't really care what caused the burn. It doesn't interest me. It's just another one of those cataclysmic events, and I don't really care. I just hope that it's not somehow directly or indirectly caused by Burnham or her family. Is it going to be our dad this time? Because it was her mum last season. So <laughs> <laughs> we think her dad's dead. He's not. He caused the burn somehow by being sucked into the future. I don't know. But it, it didn't. It was an accident, and it was a catastrophic accident, and it was a grieving child who lost his mother and lashed out and it impacted the whole galaxy, which I liked in the sense of this is an accident. It was nobody's fault. Nobody planned this. It just happened. The idea that a Kelpian can climatize to the environment around it while being in the womb, so become sensitive to dilithium plus radiation, which means he can cause a galaxy-wide catastrophic event. People have referenced it, it sounds a bit Doctor Who. And yet, if in Doctor Who, an upset child ended up destroying a universe or something like that, you'd be okay with that because in Doctor Who, that's not completely outlandish. Whereas in Star Trek, it strains credibility a little bit. And the explanation, I liked it in the sense that this is just a scared and upset and grieving child that caused this problem. And then it leads to this whole threat of it happening again because this now adult is coming apart mentally at the same rate that the holographic simulation during this coming apart. And there's a very real risk that another burn could be caused as a result of this. Those were good stakes. We can't upset this guy because he'll kill us all and cripple the galaxy again if we upset him. Again, it's not his fault. And it's a good metaphor for grief as well, how it affects everything around you not just you Mm. it's an on the nose metaphor but it's a good metaphor i think they got away with that and they did that really well and it tying into different themes that they were exploring throughout the season so sukal was very isolated he was very lonely he was scared of the outside world and there are a few things this season where the fact that it released in 2020 
well, most of it released in 2020, is how incredibly prescient was it when they were writing this? Because mm. they had that discussion about, look at all these birthdays we've jumped past. Look at all these events we've missed. It's because all the families have been dead for hundreds of years, but we're in that situation now. We're having major events in our lives pass us by because we can't do anything. We can't go out. We can't see people. We can't interact with people. My dad's 60th was last year. Didn't do anything for it because we couldn't. And that's a bit like Tilly saying, yeah, I've missed my mum's birthday or whatever. So I think that all worked really well. So the, the burn explanation, I wasn't disappointed by it because I wasn't expecting much from it anyway. But the more I think about it, the more I think about how it ties to the Sukal character, I think it's perfect in that respect. I just have trouble believing the whole galaxy-encompassing power that he has. You could imagine a Next Generation episode where, for example, for example, as opposed to the other crews in Star Trek, the Next Generation, where Picard and crew stumble across a ship that's been stuck in a nebula like this one, attuned to dilithium, blah, 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 caused an event that ended up blowing up a ship or crippling a ship. You could believe that as a local thing, but just the breach I found difficult to accept. Yeah, the fact it was quadrant-wide kind of thing, it was so vast what happened. They seem to write around the, the conditions, the nebula, the planet, the amount of dilithium, the radiation, like just tie it all in, the amplification of it. You know, it acted as a massive amplifier and that pushed it further and further and further out. I mean, I'm with you. The reason for it was very Star Trek, was very, again, playing to what I've said with this season, a lot of it was subverting expectation. You're expecting at the middle of it to be someone with a machine some machine that was set up by Starfleet, by Klingons, by Borg, by whatever. Some machine that took years to charge and charge and charge and then had enough energy to go out and destroy all the dilithium because it was a plot by someone. And then it didn't really work because it killed them off at the same time so then no one knew what happened. This whole plot and scheme backfired on whoever tried to fire it. That was the kind of thing that you were almost expecting. And then to get it that... It was a boy grieving that caused it. it. Was very Star Trek. It wasn't some evil empire that caused it. It wasn't some villain that came to the quadrant that caused it. It was just a child missing his mum. That I thought was pretty pertinent through the season. I was a bit like you. I wasn't really interested in the cause of the burn. I was more interested in the consequences to the Federation, the consequences to Earth, all these sort of political things that they set up, all these different little tantalizing glimpses you got i was more interested in them than i was of how did it happen it just didn't grab me in the same way i almost thought they were going to solve that a lot earlier in the season and it seemed again like another one of these of course it was only burnham that could figure out that you could triangulate the signal and find out where it was (laughs) yeah though at the same time there was the interesting line of we don't want to know everyone's scared to find out what it was because none of them want to find out it was them by accident. Yeah, the Navarre think it's them and they don't want to open that box yeah. again. And yeah, We don't want to discover that it was actually our scientists that did it or it was actually our ship crashing that did it or it was actually one of our crazy scientists decided they would do this experiment that was unauthorised. I kind of get a little bit of that, but I do think that someone else would have been more curious before Burnham. Even if these governments didn't want to do it, someone else would have started putting things together putting lines together but anyway accepting all that i was fine with the reasoning 
behind it. You've got to try and accept that the galaxy is the way it is now. However, I would have preferred that they had explored the consequences of the burn more than the burn itself. Yeah, because they suggested a bunch of interesting things, such as what happens when a resource runs out or starts to run out when you've been relying on it for such a long time. Again, very, very timely, Mm. because we're doing that now and we still don't have the right answers to when this runs out, we don't have anything to switch over to. So that's a problem that isn't being addressed. So what you've got is you've got the situation where it's been forced on them and they're not ready for it. So that's an interesting idea. Unfortunately, they didn't develop that. And in fact, they push it aside at the end. They push aside a lot at the end, but they push aside the fact that Okay, dilithium's rare now. What do we do about that? Is there an alternative? What is that alternative? How do we how do we make sure we don't get into this situation again? What is our backup? But instead, at the end, it's well, we have loads of dilithium again. So Discovery, hmm. you're going to be uh, delivering dilithium for a while. So Captain Burnham, off you go, glorified post person. <laughs> they're just going to jump to place. Here's some dilithium. See you later. Then they're jumping and. and <laughs> 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 so what they're actually doing is they're just peppering the galaxy with dilithium again. So you've got another problem. But beyond that, the fact is the burn's an accident. So it's not that we found the bad guy in his secret lair and stopped him from ever causing another <laughs> burn. So that's fine. We don't have to worry about this now. But it was an accident. It was a freak accident. It was a one in a billion. Well, a, what being one in a billion is probably too generous. The odds cannot be comprehended. They're so remote <laughs> that this thing could happen. But it did. And it could happen again. And the fact is, it wasn't anyone's fault. Nobody's to blame. It was an accident. It was a freak occurrence. And nobody knew it was going to happen. Nobody had any concept of the fact that it could happen. But equally, it could happen again in some far-flung area of the galaxy that we don't know anything about, caused by someone we don't know anything about. And should we be prepared for that? Should we really be relying on this resource again? No one even mentions that. And that's really weird. That's really weird and troubling. Why have it be a scary random event if you don't Mm. at least have someone acknowledge the fact that it was a scary random event afterwards? It's not Sukal's fault. The circumstances of his birth are not his fault. His reaction to his mother dying is not his fault. It's not his fault. He had this ability. But the fact of the matter is it happened. And therefore, we should be ready for the possibility of it happening again. Like you say, it's pertinent and it's interesting because it's similar to, at the moment, it's fossil fuels. Also pertinent from the, we used to have the convenience to be able to travel across the world in short hops, nice, easy jet travel flights, whatever. And then you go into what we've got at the moment with the pandemic, you can't. You suddenly lose that little convenience that you had. And it's very similar in a way to what the burn did where, Everywhere is now suddenly a lot further away again than it was. The journey that used to take a couple of hours is now a several-month-long trip between planets. The infrastructure was never made to stretch that long and that far. The ships weren't made to stretch that long and that far. The ships were made to carry enough food to do a mission for a few months. They weren't made to travel a few months. The engines weren't made to run that way. Everything like that, the whole infrastructure, you can see why it would all fall to pieces at that point. I mean, the other interesting angle is that there'll be planets that have flourished from the fact that no one's been able to get to them. Little systems, little bubbles out there, 
where they've done really well because they've not been getting pillaged by people coming a long way just to give them a kicking. Well, there's a whole angle there. Yeah, there some places it's been made a lot worse, and some places it might have been made a lot better. Yeah, there's all that to think about. But maybe next season they'll address the fact that well, we don't want another burn, but we do need to think about this whole dilithium situation. Mm. They do mention that th- other things were tried, and that was in the wake of it, but I guess that was more desperation, which means it's difficult to come up with a decent solution because you're so desperate. But actually, by the 32nd century or the 31st century, I was actually surprised that dilithium was still a concern because it seems like they would have been so far beyond that by that point. Especially when you look at Voyager, they had the slipstream concept, which you have to imagine, and if you read the tie-in novels set after Voyager, that are well, they were never canon, but they're definitely not canon now. Thank you, Star Trek Picard for ruining all that but Mm. you would think that okay voyager couldn't get it to work but every scientist in the federation that specializes in propulsion is going to be working on this as soon as in fact before they get home as soon as they send the schematics and the data and the information across they're working on it and they'll get it working because they're the finest minds in the federation at this sort of thing and they did because book mentions that his ship can use the slipstream drive, but he didn't have the right crystal for it, which Benamite crystals is for slipstream. Super nerd reference there. That <laughs> but that's one thing. The Borg, they use transwarp. In fact, Book also uses transwarp in like the second last episode or the last episode because that's how they catch up with Discovery, a transwarp tunnel. Utility the- Book strikes again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> So you would think they would come up with something that isn't warp drive that works by then, but then you can't have the burn and you can't have all that, which is fine if you did something interesting with it, but you didn't because the resource scarcity thing just disappeared. It's as if it never happened. And I get the whole idea of we want to return to the Trek idealism. We want to return to optimism, hope for the future, the fact that it is a post-scarcity society that works. We want to bring all that back. But why have this? If you're not going to earn that, I would have loved to see a story about them arriving in this future where they have to earn becoming the Federation that we know and love from before. And I feel like the writers probably think that they did by the end of it, but they didn't. Because they just took everything that was a complication and threw it away. The Navarra thinking about rejoining the Federation. Trill have already rejoined. We're going to be going out and giving dilithium to everybody, so they'll probably join as well. So what you've essentially got is you've got the Federation that's going to accelerate back to the size it was when we last saw it. Part of me for this season, going into it, was almost hoping that we were going to have this very scrappy startup Federation again. In that first episode, when Burnham goes and she finds the space station, the Federation station. Yeah. And the guy's like, I've not been in contact with anyone from the Federation in so long. Here's the little ships that I've seen track of, but they might not be ours anymore sort of thing i was expecting the season to almost be once discovery eventually gets to that station they're going to slowly rebuild the network again they're slowly going to re-establish some form of federation some form of starfleet presence even but that's quickly passed over for oh actually starfleet's still there it's just smaller than it used to be and it's not on earth oh oh okay it just wasn't quite what i expected from there and like you say, the reliance on dilithium, yeah, you would think that they would be past that, especially when we've seen future Trek before. 
it's almost been at, oh, well, we're not reliant on any mining colonies anymore. We're not reliant on anything like that. We've sort of passed into this massive utopia stage that we've got. And this is like, nope, nope, we stayed mining. We stayed reliant on this consumable. And there's no way that we would have even ran out of it within our space. You'd think by that point in the future, it would have been a scarce resource even before the burn. Yeah. With the progression of all the different societies in space travel, that would be consuming this resource. It would be rare in the first place, never mind after a load of it explodes all at once. I get that when they jumped to the future, they didn't want to jump to a fully established Starfleet, a bright future where everything's working perfect and them having to adjust. I get that they maybe didn't want to do that. It just didn't fully go the way I thought it would. I don't know quite 100% what I was expecting, but what we got wasn't it. Discovery is Captain America in the sense that it comes into a cynical time and reteaches everybody how to be better. And that's what they were getting at, but it didn't come across. And the fact is there was conflicts there that weren't all that well developed to begin with, but were interesting to have dangling over anyway. And then... They were shoved aside as if they never existed because we have dilithium now and that's all we ever needed, apparently. And we killed Osira. That was all we ever needed to do, mm. apparently. So do you want to have that complexity or not? Because you can't pretend that you have it when you don't have it. Mm. So, yeah, now we have this happy, smiley future where the Federation is accelerating to the point where it probably was before. You've got Burnham in command of the ship. They're out there putting the best foot forward for Starfleet, all this goodwill. It's like, hi, guys, you've not heard from us in a century or so, but here's some dilithium. It's all fixed now. By the way, do you want to sign this document that brings you back to the Federation? Cool. See you later. I almost expect the next season to begin with Captain's Log, Stardate, whatever the Stardate is. We've been delivering dilithium for eight months or so. It's been going really well. The Federation now has 200 member worlds, and it's all fine. We're now going on a deep space mission. <laughs> we've just reserved a distress signal in the distance and we're off to investigate yeah. yeah what's a deep space mission when you have a spore drive by the way because it's, it's all the same <laughs> yeah exactly we've had this interesting thing that's come up that we've got to look at and only we can look at yeah i mean there is the potential that the next season is going to start like you say the foot burnham in charge of discovery saru they were saying is away and then he's going to come back if they were to do it, they might jump ahead again and do like, a, it's a year forward, we've fixed everything, and yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing my friend Admiral Saru, who has been working at Starfleet HQ now and has established this and that, and he's been promoted. And I'm going to visit Vance in his office in San Francisco, yeah. because we're back on Earth now. Yeah, he's beaming on board with a special message that he couldn't give me over the comm, and then it's, oh, right, yeah. now we've got to go off on our adventure kind of thing. They, you could end up with that. I'm probably jumping ahead in the agenda of saying what's possibly happening ahead. Maybe you're not, though. That's the thing. I think it's entirely possible that the conflicts of this season will be completely forgotten in the next one. Because, like the writers have said, they wanted to be at this end point and work backwards. So they devoted the 13 episodes to fixing this bleak future and then going forward with a mission of... I said it. With a mission of optimism and <laughs> all that stuff. All the stuff that we know and love about Star Trek. And yeah, and I'm all for optimistic science fiction, especially now. And I'm all for Star Trek being optimistic science fiction because that's what it is. That's what it always has been. And that's, to me, what it should be. But also, I quite like the idea of 
you've got this group of people that are adhering to these values in a universe that might not support them anymore. So what you have is a discovery becomes a metaphor for why these values are important and why it's important to embrace them. And they go through the galaxy or the universe, demonstrating that to people and helping them have faith again. Faith of the heart, one might say. Oh, dear. Oh, Craig. <laughs> Craig, 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 Craig. Oh. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. You should have. You should have been yeah. stronger, Craig. We've taught <laughs> you to strong. be better. <laughs> no, no, no. no, you didn't. I'm pretty sure you didn't. I'm pretty sure I've always been this bad. <laughs> so that's kind of my take. I think you could have that bleak universe, kind of, and you could still have Discovery be a positive force in that. Mm. But that's not what they're doing. Like I said, I thought it was almost going to be... I don't know if you watch much of the TV show Andromeda or not. No, I've seen the first episode and mm. Kevin Sorbo gets stuck in the event horizon of a black hole or something like that and ends up... Yeah, so he's from an equivalent of the Federation called the Commonwealth. It's multiple worlds and <laughs> everyone's in unity and they've got a big fleet of starships. He gets stuck near a black hole. Time passes way faster on the outside than it does on the inside. To him, it's just been a few seconds and then his ship gets dragged out of the black hole by some scavengers, and when he comes out, his commonwealth is completely gone. And then he slowly rebuilds it again to a point. And then he flirts with his ship's computer or something. And he like flirts that. with the ship's computer, they build yeah. it a body, all sorts of stuff goes on. All sorts of stuff goes on. I'll avoid full-blown spoilers of the whole thing. But anyway, it goes really, really weird at the end. Anyhow, <laughs> the main crux of it, I was almost expecting that Discovery was going to go that sort of way. They go into the future, and in the future, no Federation. It's gone. It's been wiped out. The burn was the last straw sort of thing, and now yeah. they've got to try and, oh, we still believe in the values, the core, the rules, the guidelines. Everyone else is out there for themselves, or lots of the planets are out there for themselves, or maybe there's a few that still sort of hold ideals, but they're too fragmented or they're too weak apart to cause any real influence. And finally, here's something to try and pull them together or someone that's really wanting everything to be together. I thought that was maybe what we were going to get. We didn't. But you never know. I thought what they did with it was interesting. I just don't think they explored everything in a way that I thought they would, which has been my ongoing thing for this entire episode. I feel I've said yeah. it quite a few times, but yeah, that's been my, my sort of ongoing thing for it. No, it's definitely the case. It's a lot of missed opportunities, I think, and I think they really could have done something incredibly interesting with all the themes that were there. It's not that these things weren't there. It's just that they didn't develop them or explore them in any meaningful way. Like I said, the end of the season just chucks everything off to the side rather than resolve it. So it's, it's resolved by the fact that it's not a problem anymore. But why are they not a problem? Why was it so easy to solve them? And solving the burn was all that needed to happen in order for the Federation to peel? Not really. Finding the dilithium helps, I guess. But at the same time, do we have to have everything fixed? Can we not have some problems to take us into the next season? and play around with. Like you said with Osira, if Osira was the one that was actually gunning for peace, if she was the one that was really championing, oh, we should have a peace treaty, and oh, do you know what? We should give up some slavery, and we should stop occupying these planets, and we should stop exploiting these other ones. If she was actually the softer one in the Emerald Chain, removing her, if anything, should make that situation worse. 
Yeah. The balance is now tipped in favour of the ones who do not want the peace treaty, do want to take stuff from force, are quite happy with the situation regarding slavery, thank you. And in fact, there's more planets we can exploit in the way we're doing. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you killed Osira. That is an act of war as far as we're concerned. Yes. Problem yeah. there. Yeah. We're bigger than you, apparently. <laughs> we were going to always get you eventually, but now, now we're definitely going to get you. Yeah. Like you say, that seemed like a... Oh no, they've done the opposite. It turned out Osira was the glue that was holding everything together. Everyone else has now fallen out and they've all went their own separate ways and they're infighting each other rather than rallying against the Federation. They've not created a martyr. Yeah, it's, it's all worth thinking about. But I think we've destroyed the ending as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, we've kicked that one. <laughs> the last episode was, I thought it was entertaining enough. The action was quite cool, despite the fact that, and I'm going to let you have this one, despite the... Uh, <laughs> The problems that were... Despite the turbo the lift massive room. Whoa. How big is Discovery? I did not realise Discovery was that big. No wonder they need some form of light rail system to get from one side to the other. Jeez. It only has three decks. The rest is all turbo lifts. It's hollow. It's just all hollow. <laughs> what a lot of room. Yeah. And also the warp core ejection system. It just sort of casually falls down a tube where it collides with the side of it and there's sparks everywhere. It seems like you probably shouldn't be putting an antimatter reactor that's on the verge of exploding through that much stress to get outside of the ship. <laughs> yeah, good news, Captain, the ejection mechanism worked. Uh, bad news, it's stuck tight in the tube. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. There seems to get, be a blockage at the bottom. Get, we have yeah, get the warp core plunger out. <laughs> we need to get this bad boy down the tube. It's, it's going to cause us problems. I always laugh because in Trek, a lot of the time, Voyager was particularly bad for it. It was eject the core. It's like, oh, not again. <laughs> it's yeah. like, we need that. Nope, we've ejected it. It's gone. Yeah. That's it now. But Captain, with warp drive, it's going to take us like 60 years to get home from here. Without warp drive, it's like a million years. <laughs> yeah, we might as well get out and push, Captain. Yeah, eject the core is one of those, like, oh no, they've done it, they've done it, they've done the eject the core thing. Everyone take a drink. You've got to finish your bottle <laughs> when they eject the core. Yeah, the turbo lift thing was stupid. Just so stupid. Don't get me wrong, I've got to argue, I did like the fight. I thought it was very arty with them sliding in and out of the lifts, and it's, it's zipping along, and it's very cool, and... If it hadn't been on the inside of Discovery, I would have been so distracted because I just spent half my time going, where is this? I thought it was on a Cyrus ship at one point. I thought, okay, so a Cyrus ship has swallowed Discovery. Yeah. So these weird lift things are not inside Discovery. At some point, they've jumped out and there's an atmosphere inside a Cyrus ship or something. I was trying to tie that in my head. And I'm like, nope, it is inside Discovery because they're going to the computer core. If it had been the Federation base, I would have bought it. Yeah, even the Federation base, you're right. If it had been the Federation base, you could have done some of that. I liked the fight. I thought it was very cool. And you get the great line from the book as he kicks the, <laughs> he kicks the guy out queen. the door. Yeah. She's a queen. She's not fat. She's a queen. Excellent. I loved all that. I need to do the thing which they did uh, in Fast and Furious where everyone calculated the size of the runway. <laughs> but like the relative speed and the amount of time. We need to yeah. find out the average speed of a Star Trek turbo lift and then we can work out the size of Discovery. I'm trying to work out at the moment if Discovery is smaller or larger than the British Isles. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'd be an easier-ish way of working it out because you do have some shots of Discovery relative to the Enterprise from the last season. So if you assume that Pike's Enterprise is the same size as Kirk's Enterprise, you can probably work out something. 
Oh, okay. Okay, maybe. But then I'm trying to work out on the basis of the turbo lift to see if the turbo lift breaks the rest of the physics. Oh, it will do. It will completely break it. It's either that or it's TARDIS-like. It's actually in the future they've discovered. Because I did see that they were doing a very sort of programmable matter thing with the turbo lifts, where the rails were kind of merging as they moved sort of thing. Yeah, so let's have a look. I'm looking up the size of the Enterprise. <laughs> you tried to you tried to calculate it out. Oh, no, this is the Kelvinverse Enterprise. The Kelvinverse Enterprise is, is in consistent size. It says it's bigger than it looks. Because if you look at the size of the people next to it and whatever, so size. Memory Alpha doesn't tell you how big the ship is. How crazy is that? What kind of a stupid wiki is this? <laughs> It's never been officially declared somewhere. Well, it will have done in like technical manuals and stuff. And people can do it through reference points and things. There's a ship comparison chart, a sci-fi ship's comparison chart, but I don't know if it's been updated to include Discovery and stuff on it. Yep, so 300 metres long, apparently, according to this website that I'm reading. So if you assume that Pike's Enterprise is the same size as Kirk's Enterprise, which, since it's the same ship, yeah, it's got to be. So 300 metres long and Discovery, I don't know how many times bigger than... Because it is bigger, but I think a lot of it is nacelle. But how many times bigger is Discovery than Kirk's Enterprise? But also Discovery's thinner when you see them side by side. Mm. Oh no, it's not really. I'm looking at the header of the last podcast we did and it's the side-by-side shot of Discovery and Enterprise. And (laughs) I don't know. But you can figure it out and tell me next time. We're, we're I'm podcast. just thinking, if we know the average speed of the turbo lift, then we can work out how big that turbo lift room is. I'm just saying. <laughs> or how big it's going to be before they run out of space. So you can work out how big it is compared to how big it seems in connection with the Enterprise. Yeah. I'm going for the size of the British Isles. It's definitely not 300 metres, put it that way. Otherwise, they've been splatted already. <laughs> yeah. Let's not even think about it. <laughs> so that was... Dumb. A dumb action piece. It was okay. We could talk about the AI asserting itself, but it didn't come to anything. It just inhabited some robots that helped them out, but it didn't really do anything. I could do with those episode. robots about the house, though. Oh, yeah, they'd be useful. They, they would help out with like the cleaning yeah, and stuff. Be. I do like that they've now accepted that they've got the robots, because I've always laughed at them when they've used them outside the ship, but they're, they're like fixing everything after a battle. I think it's pretty yeah, it's cool doing that. Yeah. It's pretty neat. The dot threes or whatever they're called. Mm. Yeah, I think that takes us naturally on to our sort of highlights and lowlights of the season. So let's start with your highlight. No, no, we'll be negative first. Let's start with your lowlights. What did you not like about the season and what was your least favourite episode? Oh, my least favourite episode. I'm thinking it was the first one where they arrived at Starfleet, actually. Interesting. I'm trying to remember the rest of that episode. And I think that's the reason that I'm saying it's worse. It's either that one or it was the one with Earth which I thought was kind of disappointing. The ending was very Starfleet. It was very, they've got the people to talk to each other, but it kind of annoyed me that they didn't go further into what was going on. The first one where they were established with Starfleet annoyed me from the point of view that they did a very quick line at the beginning, a voiceover at the beginning going, so we've been retrofitted and everything's fixed and we've all been trained in the new systems. And it was like, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> I suppose that's all happened off screen. Cool, skip me forward. <laughs> So, yeah, maybe that. But you had Linus flying around with his badge and just appearing in places. Oh, Linus. What happened to Linus in the final episode? I want any more Linus. Or Jet Reno. Where was she? Yeah. 
Justice for Linus and Jet. That's what we want. Obviously, Tig Notaro is not available all the time, so they only get her in for here and there. But there's conspicuous absences during the retaking the ship stuff. Linus should have saved the day. <laughs> he could have. Just accidentally pops in, saves them all. So your least favourite episode was Scavengers, the episode where they go to Book's Planet. No, it's not. Yeah, I didn't like that episode that much either. That's the episode where Burnham goes off book to save book and yes. get the flight recorder. Yeah, that wasn't a great one. The one before where they actually found Starfleet was good, though. That was the David Cronenberg one and so on. Yeah, I did like them finding Starfleet. It was the episode where, like you say, it's where she sort of goes off piece to go and find book. I didn't enjoy it that much. It was a subterfuge one. It wasn't that memorable. This is the problem. I'm trying to describe it and I'm getting confused about it, which means <laughs> I didn't find it that exciting. It's the episode that introduces Rin, though. True. I mentioned that because I interviewed the actor that plays Rin and happens to be Mary Wiseman's husband, so there you go. Link in the show notes. It is in the show notes. Is it? Super nice guy. How did I know it was in the show notes? Oh, God. I mean, it isn't yet because they're not written yet, but again, listeners, we're like the Spock recording. (laughs) We're not live. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the good news is we've recorded a very pertinent message for this exact moment. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Good interview. So listen out to that link in the show notes and stuff. Yeah, it does introduce him. It does a bit more into the Emerald Chain. I just didn't find it that engaging an episode. It kind of annoyed me at the beginning that they had skipped what I thought would have been an obvious bit of conflict of, well, we don't really need you to be Starfleet officers. You're not trained in anything. You were cutting edge in your day, but you're now so far in the future, you're obsolete. It's going to take years to retrain you in our current operating and how the ships work. Your ship, yeah, it can jump, but it's outgunned in every other way. We might as well strip it down for parts and get you to build a spore drive in a new ship. Anyway, going off topic once again. But yeah, that episode didn't really excite me that much. The Earth episode, again, it kind of annoyed me a little bit in the way that they skipped over Earth and that sort of distracted me a little bit from it because I wanted a bit more out of that. Yeah, But it did have the good Starfleet ending of, you know, diplomacy works don't shoot first and ask questions later maybe ask a little bit of a question first before you start shooting everyone yeah maybe threaten to shoot them but don't actually do it mm. and then see if you can strike up a conversation yeah my least favorite episodes so that scavengers one isn't great i agree the sanctuary was the one i was thinking of that i quite like where asira was introduced and all that stuff that was the one where detmer and Ren went on that a suicide mission mm. that wasn't a suicide mission. I didn't like the first episode, as I mentioned. I would have rather yeah. they just got rid of it and didn't do that one at all because nothing in it really needs to be shown. You could just kind of be told about it, get it through context later on. I wasn't so crazy on Unification 3 because I think there was a lot of big questions that such a title should have attached to it that aren't addressed in the way that I would have liked them to be. I felt like it was just a waste of something that could have been really, really interesting, but wasn't. Just an excuse for Burnham to talk through her issues and strengthen her relationship with her mother, which isn't bad in itself, but against the backdrop of the Romulans and Vulcans are the same species again. Holy crap, this means a lot. Mm. So those were the major things I didn't like episode-wise in the season. I thought they were weak. And I guess a lot of the episodes weren't everything they could have been, which is unfortunate. 
So that's kind of my lowlights. In terms of events, there aren't events that I hate more than others. Hate is a strong word. There aren't events mm-hmm. that I dislike more than others as such. There's just a lot of, yeah, okay, they didn't do anything with that, or that doesn't go through. I mean, the ending, I find the ending incredibly disappointing. So that's my low light, I guess, the ending of the season. <laughs> yeah, the sort of rushed finish kind of spoils yeah. a few other things. And I've said enough, the lack of exploration of certain things, it just seemed they sort of skipped over some points that could have made more interesting drama or more conflict in the show than what we ended up with. And it sort of focused on some things to the detriment of others or some characters to the detriment of others. Yep where they could have spread the love a bit and kept it a tighter story, building us up rather than sort of rushing to get back to full Starfleet and Captain Burnham. Yeah. So what were your highlights then? Favourite episodes and favourite moments? Ooh, favourite episodes. Now, as much as we had the discussion about the Terran episodes kind of diverting you away from what was going on, I really liked the second episode into the Terran universe, the sort of full okay. Terran universe episode I thought was good fun. It's the cast sort of laying loose and getting to play evil versions and do bits of that. I thought that was a lot of fun. As much as as we've discussed, it doesn't add into the story to the same extent and that Giorgio necessarily didn't need to be there. I thought it was a fun episode regardless. The second episode, like I said earlier on, that should have been the first episode of the season. I think it was really good establishing them coming down, them not knowing what's out there, the stress of the situation, them having to sort of negotiate for parts in an unfamiliar world, not knowing what's going on. I thought that was great. Really enjoyed that episode. I thought it would have been a lot more tense if we hadn't known about Burnham at that point. But I thought it was a very good episode overall. Yeah, cool. My favourite episodes, Sukal, I thought was a great episode. Mm. And because it introduces that weird environment, it's visually amazing, the great character stuff in there. There's all sorts of compelling stuff going on even the discovery versus osira plot is interesting and it gets away from the problem that i think the season had in general so discovery has always been very serialized from minute one it's we have an ongoing story we go straight into an ongoing story now suddenly you've got the writers trying to learn how to do episodic storytelling which i think they're not used to so that's why at the end of the Earth episode, we very quickly resolved it to the point where Earth doesn't hate Starfleet or the Federation anymore. The end of the Trill episode, we're thinking about rejoining the Federation after meeting you for five minutes because it's quick and we have to get through this and it's an episodic format and we can't afford to spend any more time on that. So there was a constant issue of, I feel like the episode isn't finished when it's finished because they just kind of tie everything up in a ribbon by the end just so they can move on. And that's a problem with episodic storytelling in general, but Star Trek in its heyday, the strong examples of it were much better at telling a tight and well-paced story within the 45 minutes or 42 minutes, however long the episode was. So I think that's a skill they need to learn is episodic. And for Strange New Worlds, they better get it nailed. Mm. Because I don't want a season of this where they tell half a story and then just finish it because they've only got five minutes left. That's not what I want out of that show, obviously, because that'll just be not the best it can be. So Sukal, great episode. The Sanctuary, great episode, I thought. Even though you know Cyrus stuff was a bit shallow, 
I think the stuff around it was great. So I was fully on board with that one. I really liked the There is a Tide one, the second last episode with the negotiation and the dieharding and all that stuff. Jonathan Frakes did a great directing job on there. So those are basically my highlights. Highlight moments are things like The Guardian of Forever. I like that. The Spock cameo, even though I wasn't crazy on the episode. If you're going to show me Leonard Nimoy, I'm going to be good on it. Except in the <laughs> darkness. Where I'm like, why is he here? Why did he agree to this? Leonard, what are you doing? <laughs> but <laughs> There was also an eeriness to it because we know that Leonard Nimoy is dead mm. and obviously Spock is essentially speaking to us from beyond the grave as well. And then there's that moment for Burnham where so that's what he became. Do you think he made friends? She does mention that she purposely hasn't looked him up, which struck me as a bit weird. I would have much rather had a conversation with that. So I looked up Spock. Turns out he made friends with a guy called Kirk. And I remember I met him at the academy or something. (laughs) Or I met him when I was giving a lecture at the academy and he seemed all right. Because, of course, she would probably know Kirk. I think if you brought up James T. Kirk as a person, she would have somehow met him at some point. (laughs) Because the universe does revolve around Burnham, unfortunately. Indeed it does. Yeah, and it doesn't have to. So those are sort of my highlights. And it was an okay season, I think, in general. I think it was okay. But could have been so much better. That's basically my take on it as a season. Yeah, it establishes so much. It could have done so much more. I think that's why it feels disappointing. It wasn't that what was put on screen was awful or bad. It's that it teases so much more that you could have seen and that you haven't. And that's why some of it feels a little bit disappointing when you get towards the ending. You were a lot more coherent in picking your best and worst than I was because I'm sitting there going, <laughs> eh, that episode where the, uh, yeah. But you did that a little bit. I mean, yeah, I agree. By the way, I listeners, think- I share an agenda ahead of time. So there's no. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. So that's in the past as well. But some of us look at it. It's in the past of the past that you're. <laughs> I'm going to have to give up this joke because I <laughs> think I've run out of the group. And back in the past, the we're going to tie ourselves and not see it. And eventually we're going to be recording this in the future again and sending it to the past. Yeah. And eventually we'll just be doing a live podcast and confusing everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the paid premium tier where you get to watch us live. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Or not watch us live. If you pay us, we won't go live. How about that? Yeah. Otherwise, we'll call you up and do it down your phone, whether you want it or not. (laughs) We'll be outside your house with a megaphone. Yes, think of this as a peace negotiation with your phone held (laughs) hostage. Yeah. So I think the thematic underpinnings were there, and I think they did a good job establishing most of them and even exploring some of them, especially the intimate portrayals of stuff. So Detmer's PTSD in the beginning, Sukal's abandonment, his isolation, his loneliness, his fear, his insanity if you want to call it that just the fact that he doesn't know what the outside world is he's forgotten what it is he's never experienced it he's lost hope because the federation haven't come for him turns out that's indirectly his fault but he doesn't know that so that was all great i think when they really dug into something they were great at it it's the things they didn't dig into that have lingered as being disappointing agreed So, as a last thing, next season, where do you think this is going? What do you want from next season, and what do you think (laughs) we're going to get next season? Like I've said, I'd like more exploration into what the situation is out there. I'd really like for them not to do that, and then it was all fixed, and we continued just as if we're in future Starfleet sort of thing. I would like for there to be 
a bit of something out there for them to investigate and for them to do. What am I really hoping for? I don't know. I've sort of predicted kind of where I think it's going rather than where I want it to go. Yeah. I want to explore a little bit more of this new world and the new situations that are out there. We've not seen anything with the Klingons yet. I don't know if they do anything interesting with them, though. That's my worry, is that they would do it, but then just do something really boring with them. Yeah, are they still warriors (laughs) or not? I think that's the only question you get. I think that would be, yeah. Are they still a massive warrior race? I would love to see a massive turnaround of warrior Ferengi v. peaceful trader Klingons. I think would be hilarious, but also very wrong (laughs) in a weird way. I want to see more about the state of this universe. I want to see them be explorers. Discovery is the perfect exploration ship, isn't it? You can go anywhere. It's in the name, yeah. Yeah, it's in the name. It's Discovery. It's, it's not really been used for discovering things. It was used at the beginning for fighting a Klingon war. It was used for investigating the signals, which I suppose was a bit of discovery, really. It's now went into the future. It's established itself with the Federation in the future, so now it's the perfect exploration vessel, isn't it? I would say so. And I think next season is going to try and be next generation again, or kind of traditional Star Trek. Mm. We're going to explore, we're going to encounter different things, we're going to do weird things, we're going to just see what weird science fiction concepts we can cook up, which makes me wonder, if that's the case, what is Strange New Worlds going to be and why is that different, other than the fact that there's different people in it? I don't know, I suppose Strange New Worlds it's probably just more canon-tied than Discovery will be? I don't know, maybe? I mean, not necessarily, it's just, I think in Strange New Worlds they can do whatever they want, essentially. Mm. As long as they don't introduce things like the Gorn or whoever that Kirk hasn't met yet. Broadly speaking, I think it'll just be the Enterprise goes to this place and discovers this thing and has to deal with this problem. Whereas Discovery might just be that again, but a thousand years later. So is that going to be exciting? Who knows? But it seems that there was a definite movement back to Starfleet ideals, Star Trek ideals, the franchise core values. And we'll go into the next season with that. I think there'll be some challenges with Burnham as a captain because the rift she has with Stamets hasn't gone away. It's still there. So is one of her big lessons as captain going to be, I'm going to make decisions that the crew aren't going to like and they're going to resent me for it, which would be good Mm. to see explored. Have Burnham not be super perfect at everything would be good. Just have that lingering consequence as well, because I really liked that. I understood exactly what Burnham was doing and why she had to do it. And I understood why Stamets didn't want her to do it. That was great. Stamets was wrong in the sense of he was endangering everyone else by this selfish decision that he wanted to make. But also, everything he has is at risk if he gets taken off the ship. Yeah, totally. I forgot about that conflict, actually, when we were talking about the final episode. I did forget to mention that, but yeah, interest. You want the consequences to linger, though. This is the thing. You worry that they're just going to delete that. (laughs) It's almost deleted and they're over it by next season. Or it's one discussion in episode one that resolves it. Yeah, Colbert and Stamets will be brushing their teeth and Stamets will be like, God, Burnham, eh? What about Burnham? (laughs) Colbert's like, now, Paul, you know she did the right thing. You just have to realise that. And he'll be like, It all worked out in the end. (laughs) I'm going to apologise to the captain tomorrow morning. And then he does. And that's the end of it. (laughs) I feel like that's how it will probably go. I thought at one moment, I thought you were going to say they were brushing your teeth. He wakes up in the shower. It was all a dream. There is no spore drive. It's... (laughs) 
yeah, that's it. He wakes up, it was all a dream. Yeah. It was all a dream. The last two seasons have all been a dream. It's not real. The Dallas ending, yeah. Yeah. He was theorizing a spore drive, but it never worked. <laughs> never worked because using mushrooms as a propulsion device is stupid. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that stupid. He had read about Burnham in the news, and that's why it was easy in his head. Yeah. He just made up Burnham. He made up Burnham. No one like oh, that no. could actually exist. <laughs> Can you believe she knows Spock? That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> See, we prove why we should be writers with great ideas like Night Admiral, the new animated series which is coming soon. And then we Night completely spoil it. Or Night Shift Admiral. And then we destroy our hopes of becoming writers by having them wake up in it for it all be a dream. <laughs> there was a lot of fans, maybe not a lot of fans, there was a vocal minority of fans that wanted Enterprise to be a holodeck scenario that wasn't actually <laughs> happening and then the final episode was in a holiday so uh, they kind of got their wish so there'll be a lot of people that or there'll be a chunk of people that will agree with her idea of let's make discovery all a dream <laughs> and <laughs> just strike it from canon no i don't think that uh, should be the case i think discovery is as worthy an addition to canon as anything else that's my view on it but i like it i do like it even though i've spent the last couple of hours saying that i don't <laughs> I've been saying I don't like aspects of it. But that's what we do on these podcasts, though. We're looking analytically at it. We did watch it. We watched the whole season, honest. Yeah, watched the whole season. I know, it sounds like I didn't watch the whole season, but we watched the whole season and everything. (laughs) So, you know. No, I I had it on the background while I was having lunch or whatever. No, no, it was... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I skimmed it. I read a Wikipedia article or something. (laughs) I watched it in five-minute chunks and, uh, yeah. (laughs) Every alternate episode. Well, I think I already confessed on a previous episode. I'm not really a nerd. I just read Wikipedia verbatim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Life would be so much simpler if that was true. (laughs) I know, yeah. It's the equivalent of using Sparknotes to write an essay for English at university. Not that I ever did such a thing. No, I, I like Discovery. I like the show. I like the characters. I like the concept. I like... A lot of what they did this season. I like Star Trek. I love Star Trek. This was a highlight of a week for me. Thursday. I would watch this every Thursday before work. I'd be like, I get an episode of Star Trek before I get to go to work. I will say I had more fun with Lower Decks. I will admit that. I thought Lower Decks was a good laugh. And... I think it's because in Lower Decks I wasn't expecting to have to take it seriously and I never did have to take it seriously and I was always on board with it. In Discovery, there are things about it I like and things about it I don't like. But that's the same on every show that I watch, to be honest. If you've heard any of our podcasts, it sounds like we don't like the DC TV universe, but we do. We really do like it because, well, why would you spend a couple hours talking about something that you don't like? Exactly. But... We don't have to like everything about it. And that's the whole point. That's the point of analysis. That's why we analyze things to figure out what it's doing right and doing wrong. So I've already given my sort of summary. I like it, but there are issues. So what would you say your summary of this whole thing is? I was going to say this whole enterprise, but then this whole enterprise. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, but now you've mentioned it. So it's almost as if you said it. You've managed to do both. Yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I watched it. I watched the whole season. I can't deny overall, that. Overall, I watched I mean? it. Overall, I watched it. I definitely watched it. 
if I'd given up after two episodes, it was definitely doing something wrong. It did I stuff right. I can confirm that this was indeed a thing that I watched. It was indeed a thing. It is classed as television. It was put on screen. And for that, I award it the highest honour. <laughs> no, it did really, really well. I enjoyed it. I like a lot of the characters that are in this. As much as I've said that some of them don't get enough time on screen, I do like the characters in it. But you want them to have more time. So I want them to have more time. I want to yeah. see more of them. I want more drama between them all. I want more relationships between them all rather than just these little casual lines that hint that there's a lot more there. I want to actually see it. I want to see a more episodic style to it. I don't want them building up to a massive thing that ultimately, as they've done this episode, they've built up to a massive thing and they've gone, oh, we need a big villain and we need a big plot. And then, yeah, we've kind of finished it. Right, we're done. I want them to carry on with something that's more interesting that way. Explore and make sure that focus on something so you can develop it properly rather than do little chunks. Overall, thought it was great. Really enjoyed seeing a glimpse into the future. Just wish they'd shown us more of it. Yeah. It's a good summary. Agreed. So that's that. Discovery Season 3. We did it. We have discussed it. We have torn it to pieces. We have put it back together. <laughs> and that's it. We've done it. Cool. Another podcast complete. Reprogrammed all of its matter. Yeah, we've done all that programmable. We didn't discuss the technology, but it's all technology. Whatever. It's all, yeah. yeah. Holograms Future. and programmable matter and spore drives and holograms and 3d screens and that's about it and transparent documents of course because who doesn't need a transparent document so that was our chat about season three of discovery the music that played us in and played us out was brought to you by the orchestra cinematique and gorkum berk ajar the second one i probably pronounced wrong but they both did a cover of the discovery theme and it's really good. I'm just not sure at this point in the past which one I'll use where. I'll decide that when I'm editing. Listeners, this isn't me life. I'm in the past. So just bear that in mind. There are things about the future I don't know yet. Just bear that in mind. Just had to get that joke in the last time there. So thanks to those guys. Check out their YouTube channels and all the other cool music covers that they've done and things like that. Just do that. For us, you can find us on Spotify iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe. If you're on iTunes, please, 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 please leave us a star rating and a comment. doesn't have to be a five-star rating. If you think we're crap, give us one star. Cool, and tell us why. Just try to be constructive because we'll get upset otherwise. We don't have very thick skins around here. Just be kind. And then I'll be demoted to Ensign for being rubbish. I don't know who's going to demote me, though, because no one outranks me at this point. So, Chris, thank you for being here aboard the good ship Neil Before Pod. Thank you for having me. And I'll just beam you back to your original location now. Energizing. The transporter is something I really enjoy using. But it's no <laughs> transporter. It's a, I don't know, it's power. And how did he do that? He's gone, but he's still left. <laughs> it's because we opened healing frequencies as soon as he went. Yeah, you've got your communicator still open, it's fine. Yeah, that's it. You forgot to turn your communicator off. So if you want to talk to us about Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or just leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. 
we will respond if you do that. And otherwise, we just hope you'll catch us next time on Neil Before Pod, because we'll be here. Next up are probably the Mandalorian. That's way late, but still worth having. Otherwise, we'll be doing another roundup of news nonsense towards the end of January. So check out for that. It will appear early February. So thank you for listening if you did. And if you didn't, you didn't hear me thanking you. So that's it. Join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.